0: Hello all, welcome. It is Wednesday night, Generational Change. I'm Jen. I'm
1: Peter, and it is exactly three weeks from Friday for Festivus. Okay,
0: and we are having a Festivus for the rest of us, and guys, we are going to, yeah, and I'm going to be a little bit more organized about it this time in terms of like covering all of the Festivus like all of the parameters. So we will be having our feats of strength. We will be having our airing of grievances and we will be having our declaration of Festivus Miracles. And, um, yeah, and I'm actually, now that I have a functioning kitchen, uh, we can have, yes, I can make us a Festivus Meatloaf. Oh, cause I have a really meatloaf? good vegan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. So we could actually be like kind of in, in sync with the Festivus. That's my plan this year. A Festivus and, miracle. And we are, hey, Double K. Love you,
1: Double K. Um,
0: You know, we are really putting together a good list of people that are going to be joining us on, on so far in this Festivus. So it's very exciting. And I also want to say to you, because I haven't even said this to you yet, because I just noticed, and this has nothing to do with Festivus. You got Chelsea Manning is coming back on the show? Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. That's really cool. Mm. Okay, and it's gonna just be her though, right? Like just her, okay. Okay, Okay. just Chelsea. Um, Because because, um, for anybody who doesn't know, on my 50th birthday, which was now a year and a half ago. uh, um,
1: (laughs) You're getting old, so am I. Yeah,
0: um, it's happening at the same rate. So anyway, on my 50th birthday, Chelsea Manning was one of the guests and was actually one of the guests at the time um, Hold on. When they sang happy birthday. Travers,
1: you gotta watch Seinfeld. Just look up Seinfeld Festivus on YouTube, you'll understand.
0: It's, it's really a important. Seinfeld, yeah, uh, see, and I, w- yeah. It's, yeah, it's Festivus. It's December 23rd. That Serenity is Serenity now. That is, but that's uh, So, guys, Chelsea Manning sang happy birthday to me on my 50th birthday, which was one of the coolest things that's probably ever happened to me. And so, um, but I got when, you. I, well, well, no, but when she was here for that, there were uh, a bunch of other people as well. And so it wasn't like I was able to really talk to her. And, you know, so this is really cool. I was very, I don't know what prompted that or what was the, if there's something current that's going on that made you reach out but I'm very excited so guys Chelsea Manning's coming back on the show it's month
1: yes it's going to be a lot of fun (laughs) I'm so excited we obviously have a lot to talk about tonight our guest Alessandra Baiegi state senator from district 34 we have a lot of New Yorkers that find their way onto the show Uh, but certainly a very relevant time to speak with her she is the lady who did challenge DCCC chair Sean Patrick Maloney and ultimately had the type of guts that another person who should have been running in that seat didn't have.
0: Uh, no, we're not going to mention any names. And are we? ultimately,
1: Mr. Maloney ended up losing his seat because of the futility of the of the well, the Florida Democratic Party too. But the New York Democratic Party has its own problems, as we have Manny Diaz here in Florida. New York has Jay Jacobs, which Alessandro, I'm sure, will have a lot to say. So, who
0: is sitting him. in uh, his seat right now? Who is that? Uh, who is
1: the gentleman that beat him? Um, That's very do look that up. Forgive me for not knowing the GOP's name uh, in New York. Well, we're going to find out.
0: We're going to talk to her, Mario. I'm very excited about that, actually. Yes, it should
1: be very, very.
0: We have some great things lined up. So also uh, what, what Wait, what's do, there's something on Monday hold on a second. I don't have all the dates all set up. Oh yes, Monday, um, we're gonna be speaking with Dr. Carl Hart. Um, He's the author of a book called Drug Use for Grownups. Actually, he has a lot of books, I think. He's a a psychoneuropharmacologist. This is somebody who does extensive amounts of research with um, methamphetamines and MDMA. And we're gonna talk using things like science and reason And we're not going to base our thoughts on, you know, fear and uh, irrationality. So it's going to be very interesting talking to him. Definitely look forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be really cool. And then what else do we have coming up next Wednesday?
1: We will have our friend Mike Figueredo of the Humanist Report. Mike Fettuccini. Mike, girly Mike Fettuccini. (laughs) Making his wonderful return um, on December the 12th. We are going to have two wonderful members of More Perfect Union, who I happen to think is one of the best organizations that is out there today. I feel like there have been so many paper. times
0: where I've texted you, have you Have you reached out to the More Perfect Union guys? And you say, we have, we've had them. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then another good two story will come up and I'll be like, did you reach out to More Perfect Union? So Shai Singari and Sean
1: Morrow will be joining us. Sean Morrow is actually the gentleman who impersonated Eli Lilly and said from now on insulin is free. <laughs> and sure enough, Eli Lilly had to come out and say, actually, no, insulin isn't free. Even though it was meant to be free when it was created, and it is in the rest of the world, <laughs> except the United States, so they have to defend their
0: corruption. I, I tempted at Eli Lilly for like months, actually. I was a temp there in there, but the the drug that I was working in the department of was some sort of pancreatic cancer treatment. Mm. But I did. I temped. I was a temp at Eli Lilly. There uh, in Indianapolis.
1: You tried to sell your soul. It didn't happen. <laughs> at least you tried.
0: I was just trying to afford to live.
1: Yes. Well, I think we all do that. Right. That is so that
0: example. was, I was working for a temp agency and that was where I got placed. So that's where I worked.
1: Yeah. No, I definitely understand. And as I'm sure a lot of people understand that that is what ultimately ends up happening. So when somebody questions whether or not uh, you you know, somebody's working at a particular company and they think, well, why do you work there? It's so terrible. You know, we could definitely do better than that. The truth is people's prospects are not as great as one thinks. So there's certainly the understanding when certain things happen, for example, uh, you know, there would obviously be a major problem with somebody objecting to, let's say the Amazon warehouse being built in New York, but realizing that it would be substandard jobs that would be brought in in terms of pay, terms of benefits, all these things matter. And so while we will address obviously what happened with Tim Pool, with Kanye West, Nick Fuentes, and Milo Yiannopoulos the other day, we're definitely going to talk about the fact that Bernie Sanders is in the process of saving Joe Biden's ass when he really shouldn't be doing that. But because the railroad workers are so desperate for real benefits and are actually willing to strike and potentially put the country at the loss of a half a billion dollars a day. Please do it. Bernie is the only one who is out there right now basically whipping votes, not as just the Senate budget chair, but he's the one actually whipping votes to get a handful of GOP senators on board with getting seven paid sick days for these railroad workers.
0: That's just asking so much. That's just so unreasonable. Too much. Way too much. It's just, this this is the most absurd thing. I personally would very much like to see a railroad strike. And like I've said, I'd like to see it simultaneously with a UPS and a FedEx strike. And let's see how that suits you all. You know what I mean? Like, let's see how y'all like them apples. I would love to see that. yeah. And I know it will suck and be very inconvenient and things will be difficult to get. And I appreciate that. And I think that would suck, but you know what? Good. That's what I think. So I, I, Please. Let there be because like, that would be massive. No, at
1: some point we're we're getting to the point now where you really have to ask yourself, how much longer do workers want to compromise before they eventually say, no, we've had enough. Uh, we definitely have to make a stand, not just for railroad workers, but for all workers, and that's what I think a lot of people are looking for at this point. So we will see what ultimately ends up happening. I believe our guest is here and ready to join mm-hmm. us. And so one of the reasons why we obviously wanted to have Alessandra Biaggi join us is not just because she did run for office, but was willing to do it under the circumstances where it probably was likely that she would lose, but she was willing to do the right thing to try to change the narrative of the way politics is done, not just in New York, but the way it's been done in the country for quite some time. Um, it should have been somebody else who was running in that district, but we digress. Uh, we also have to address the fact that A lot of the ways that these state parties are run, um, and obviously this will be a very interesting conversation because as New York has a huge problem with their state party chair, we have a very similar problem here in Florida with our state party chair. So there is obviously a lot to discuss, and I am not 100% sure if uh, what's, uh, you know.
0: With it's Scat. Um, Scat. If, so if I, awesome. I don't know if you're somebody I've ever met in real life or in person or anything like that. But if ever we do meet, would you please tell me who you are? Because I, I do appreciate. It. I don't think that's ever going to happen. I, think I don't bad. know. I it could be this. someone that I know. I don't know. Sometimes I try to think about who some of these people are, but they're probably strangers. I don't know, but I very much appreciate that. Uh, that sentiment.
1: Without further ado, we are very pleased to welcome our guest, and she is the state senator from New York's 34th District, who just ran, and very uh, valiantly, I must say, for New York's, I believe it's the 18th, it's 17th or 18th, but I believe it's 17th, I believe it's the new 17th that was the 18th, Congressional District against now former DCCC Chair Sean Patrick Maloney. And somebody who uh, obviously has uh, fought the good fight in New York politics for quite some time, has um, been very uh, intertwined with a lot of things that have changed in New York politics, particularly since Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez won her congressional seat in 2018. So a lot is changing there, hopefully for the better. Alessandra Bayeghi, welcome to Generational Change.
2: Thank you so much for having me. Can you hear me? Yeah,
0: we can hear you.
2: We can't see you, but we can hear you. Let's try this out. There you are. Hi, guys. This is like me and my most casual self. So, no, it's great. (laughs) We've never met. It's really nice to meet you. Um, Nice to meet you too. Thank you for that introduction. I thought that was like pretty spot on, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're aware of where people are fighting the good fight. You know what I mean? Like we're aware of where all the little pockets of the people that are, you know, on our mission are. And so would you talk a little bit about what that's like? <laughs> Basically, it's like working within the Democratic Party as somebody who's actually trying to create progress. And I'm not going to use the term progressive because whatever. Often? it is. But just somebody who's actually working on the side of, you know, the the oppressed, and the vulnerable. Um, what What's that like working within the Democratic Party?
2: Well, first, let me just say that um, New York from a distance looks like a place where there has been a tremendous amount of change because, yes, there has to some degree, and we'll talk about that hopefully in a minute. Um, but at the same time, this is a state that has really been poorly run when it comes to democratic politics, primarily in my opinion, because this is a place where a lot of people across the country and even in New York still think of it as this progressive beacon because we have New York City and New York City is a progressive beacon. However, when you think about New York state and the fact that we have a two to one democratic advantage because we do, Democrats are registered at an advantage of two to one to Republicans. You would think that we would continue to lead in every front. We have super majorities of course in the assembly and in the state Senate. We also have a governor that is a Democrat. However, as you probably know, and everyone who's listening might know, we do not have um, a, a stronghold of our congressional seats in New York. And a very, a very primary reason for that, and if you even look under the under the hood, as I like to say, of the car and see like what's going on here, is that we don't have a strong Democratic Party chair, and we really haven't ever had a strong Democratic Party chair because we haven't had to. And so I think part of the problem when it comes to having to not just be able to build power but also to be able to fight on behalf of all new yorkers our constituents across all of the districts that many of my colleagues and myself represent is that we are not supported by the party even though we are part of the reason why the democrats are in control at least at the state level so let's just i think start from that point of view. Um, and my, and the reason I keep looking up and down is because my internet is like a little bit spotty. So if it's okay with you, I'm going to just like go like That's that. Okay. Or, yeah. Cause it's yeah. Out, okay. I apologize. So anyway, getting back to what I was saying is this, it's the fact that we've never really had to have that kind of leadership until 2016, when, as we all know, we had a president that many people did not expect. And what happened was we started to look at our states because state power became this front line of defense. And so the dynamics of New York state absolutely changed from 2016 to 2018. And it put a spotlight in a very big way on what's going on in New York politics at the local and state level. Now, I think the end result, and just to really answer your question, even though I did it in a very, you know, reverse engineered way, is basically that we have... Won elections, however, we haven't built the power necessary to be able to continue to fight on behalf of vulnerable New Yorkers on uh, for working families, for working class individuals, to make sure that we are fighting as as strongly as we can for criminal justice reform, for housing rights. As you know, we're not you know impervious to the fact that New York is a place where there is a crisis of of many accounts, homelessness being one of them. And so we have really found ourselves individually if we are fighters for these kinds of values on our own and I think that that has unfortunately been some something one of the reasons why if you look at this past election we were not able to hold on to the perfect number of seats that would have actually allowed for members of congress to be able to hold the majority for democrats in the house
1: we're speaking with Alessandra Byega, currently <clears throat> the State District Thirty-Four, New York State. Where Senator. is
2: that exactly, by the way? Yes, no problem. So I represent the Thirty-Fourth State Senate District. It is parts of both the Bronx and Westchester counties, okay. and it is a place- so you're just north of Manhattan. That's right. I am just yeah. north of Manhattan. Exactly. That's exactly right. Okay.
1: And so, obviously, uh, we will address the elephant in the room, no pun intended. Um, We are huge, huge supporters of India Walton. She should be the new mayor of Buffalo. Uh, This particular (laughs) circumstance of the deliberate sabotage within the party infrastructure that was laid at her feet – and ultimately, sandbagged her out of the mayor. That was position. a
0: statewide assassination against her, right? Like sure. that wasn't just Buffalo. Sure, Democrats. but that
1: ultimately comes to one person, and that man, man's name is Jay Jacobs. Um, that was the first time I—I I mean, I knew of him, but I didn't really, you know, pay a, a, as much attention uh, to all the wheelings and dealings of the things that he did. Obviously, he probably had a very heavy hand in what went down with Cuomo, among other things. But he definitely was probably as responsible as anybody. As ensuring that India lost that race, as I'm sure he does a lot of things uh, to ensure that a lot of the things that need to be happening in the state of New York, because New York, while it is one democratic state, it's a very economic populist state. People are demanding things, you know, New York's uh, New York Health Act, I think we would both agree. It's probably the closest statewide uh, universal healthcare system in the country right now, in terms of the momentum that's there.
0: Viability.
1: And so, what yeah. this man has been doing from a Floridian's perspective is deliberately sabotaging the economic progressive uprising that is happening in the city and has and, and throughout the state, that has been happening since Alex's victory in 2018. Yes. And I guess they are doing everything in their capacity to try to fight it off. So from your perspective, no. how does Jay Jacobs fall into all of these things that have been transpiring over the last few years?
2: Well, I would say that he falls squarely in the center of all of it because all you have to do is go back to 2017 and 18 when myself and a handful of others decided that we were going to challenge do pro- have primary challenges to state senators that were elected as Democrats but actually went to Albany and caucus with Republicans and that was this coalition of individuals called the IDC and they were essentially blessed so to speak, by Jay Jacobs, the chair of the Democratic Party, and our former governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, that power dynamic meant effectively that the Democrats in the state Senate up until 2018 did not have the majority that they should have had because numerically there were enough Democrats. But these eight Democrats decided to break away and caucus with Republicans. It prevented New York from being able to codify Roe, to pass housing rights, to pass climate justice legislation, to do all of the things that New Yorkers believed that were important to them. However, behind the scenes, these were things that were, again, allowed because of our former governor and also because of the power dynamics of New York. There's relics of Tammany Hall. And so that was the first, my first introduction to Jay Jacobs. Now, when I won my election in 2018 and then went to Albany in 2019, myself and many others never had a meeting or even an introduction to Jay Jacobs, if you can imagine. And but just fast forward to 2022, the year that we're in right now, I still to this day, and many others of my colleagues as well, even Congress member Adriano Espayat, who has been in office for way longer than I have, has never even had a meeting or met with Jay Jacobs, the chair again of the Democratic Party. So then now, right? After 2018 elections, you have the super majority, you have, excuse me, you have a majority in the state Senate. Finally, the Democrats are in control and we start passing bills. And 2021 comes around the corner. And what happens is we have a lot of different ballot initiatives that are important for increasing and expanding voting access and voting rights. In addition to the fact that we have lots of elections going on, we have county executive races and DA's races. And we also have, notably, as you mentioned, the mayor's race in Buffalo with India Walton. And what we saw in 2021, I feel like was the, just like the setting of the table of what we could have expected to happen in 2022. We saw number one, India Walton, this progressive, build incredible amounts of power to be able to win a primary against the previous mayor of Buffalo. And yet when she won, the Democrats led by Jay Jacobs did not only not support. India Walton in her general election, they campaigned for a write-in election for the previous mayor, defeating India Walton in the general. In addition to the fact that on, the, on those ballot initiatives to have early voting, automatic voter registration, to change the redistricting process, which is a complete mess in New York, we not only lost all of those ballot initiatives, but the Democratic Party in the state of New York, led again by Jay Jacobs, did not spend a single dollar on even raising awareness. And why that matters specifically and why I hone in on that is because the Republican Party spent millions of dollars trying to defeat it. And you couldn't really go anywhere outside of the city without seeing yard signs or hearing radio ads telling people to vote no on these particular ballot initiatives. The last thing that I think is of importance here, specifically with 2021, is that Jay Jacobs, again, the state party chair in New York, also happens to be the chair of the Nassau Democratic Party. Now, why that matters is because Nassau County is, again, a suburb of New York City, and it's a place where, in 2018, Democrats flipped lots of seats there to really have a Democratic stronghold. However, in 2021, the Democrats' election, the DA's race, the county executives' race, but because, again, the Democrats not only didn't have infrastructure, but Jay Jacobs, as the individual party, did not have any kind of coordinated campaign. There was no coordinated um, organizing efforts. There were no coordinated fundraising efforts. And even though we can really do, you know, in the dissection of why this happened, we can really lead back mm-hmm. to, again, the reasons I just mentioned. The reality here is basically that we have a man who doesn't, not, not only doesn't want to help Democrats to win, but he frankly is doing everything he can to undermine Democrats from winning. That
0: sounds like our party. Like that really (laughs) sounds like our state party. It's really interesting. Yeah. They, but you know what, when I hear this, it really does sound like, you know, world wrestling and it's every legislative body seems to have, okay, you guys are going to be the bad guys on this bill, but ultimately we don't want anything to really get done. So you'll, you'll be bad. We'll be. And yet we know that it's all roads lead to the same corporate donors. That's right. It's very, very clear. Like if there yes. weren't corporate donors, then they wouldn't care so much about suppressing what people wanted.
2: Well, I'm so glad you mentioned that because in New York, real estate is a huge, huge part of why either certain initiatives, whether it's legislative or a back of the ballot initiatives, will succeed or fail. As this, and in the same vein, so same with the healthcare industry, depending upon who and, and and what you're talking about. There are particular reasons why the New York Health Act, for example, haven't passed, but especially when it comes to these kinds of elections, we have a real estate industry, which is used to having a very large stronghold across the entire state, still very bitter with the, the laws that we passed in 2019, which was the first time in 40 years that we passed laws to protect tenants. And so it really is unfortunate because when you think about, you know, what so many progressives, especially, and I I really appreciated the fact that you didn't use that word because I think sometimes it does make people turn their ears off. So I hope that people continue to listen to what I'm about to say here. But progressives are fighting for working people. And when you think about why is the Democratic Party losing hold of so many parts of this country, even though we have John Fetterman, thank goodness, winning Pennsylvania in the U.S. Senate, and you have other candidates like him who are actually talking to working class individuals and speaking to their needs, the Democratic Party, has become incredibly run by corporate interests. As a result of that, they have lost touch with the reason that they actually exist and the values that they say that they stand for. And that's a huge part of why, when we think about why are we losing or why is why are these races closer than <clears> we <throat> really would feel comfortable with? Like the governor's race, she only won by six percentage points. That's incredibly close and frankly, dangerously close as we round the bend to a 2024 presidential election. So I think that we have to like take a step back and also look at the things that are working and what's not working, and in New York, what is not working and hasn't been working for a long time is that we really don't have any kind of infrastructure to really withstand a series of elections that will allow us to continue to have power for working people. And when you lose touch with that, I think that you lose touch with why anybody would you know feel like they could have hope in the Democratic Party and I think that's why you see a lot of people who previously may have voted for Democrats not only not voting but voting for Republicans simply because they want they want change and they don't know how else to have their voices be heard on that particular topic.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you said this. So we Peter and I recently attended our Broward County DEC meeting. It was their first meeting since the election, which even though people are seemingly saying that the Democrats didn't have their asses handed to them, they did in Florida. So we went to this meeting and I was expecting, you know, maybe they'll have a come to Jesus moment of self-awareness, but no, no, not even close. And what's amazing is, is that all they gripe about is their inability to raise money. And here's the thing, and I'm gonna tell you, this is what I really believe. If they actually stood for something, Yes. and serve the community, then people would donate money to them. But the thing yeah. is, even if, our, let's say, our local DEC started doing that, the national party, the Democratic Party, does not stand for those values. They don't right. offer anything for which people to feel inspired to donate.
2: That's right. So- I mean, it really, you know, it, there's so much, oh my gosh, we could spend probably like four days talking about this particular yeah. topic, <laughs> but it really does come down to what you just said. It's so simple. This This Democratic Party historically was a party for working people, for unions, for making sure that people had paid time off, for making sure that people got sick leave, for making sure that people were not in dangerous working conditions, for fighting for individuals who were either in harm's way, who were less fortunate. Pick a topic. And yet it's, it's, and this is, you know, Part of why I think that term limits are important, although notwithstanding the fact that I don't have a particular magic wand to determine like how long could it be, could it some should somebody be, right. on for, I think that part of what happens here is that number one, people get really comfortable and they feel like they are untouchable. Although we all know that that is not true because organizing can actually undo any of those kinds of false senses of security, which is important. But I think the the reality here is that. At the end of the day, what 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 starts to happen is the individuals who have been in office for ten years, twenty years, thirty years hmm. become so ingrained and so embedded in the desire to hold on to power, they don't care about anything else. And at the end of the day they are really just there to keep a seat warm to hold their to hold on to their seat and then to pass the baton to the next person who essentially like salutes whatever it is that they are told to do by the party and i think that's changing but it is really not changing as quickly as i thought it would change after the 2016 elections i don't know if you both feel the same way but i feel like we kind of have slowed down the progress in a way yeah. and i don't particularly have the answer yet on what to do to really make people not feel cynical because because yes. I understand why they do. It
0: was the it was the backhand after we had some real momentum in 2016 and then AOC getting in in 18 and then I think the pendulum just sw- s- you know spun in the other direction so much that it does feel like it was like one step forward two steps back a little bit. Right. But I think we're I think we could be in a position to sort of be building up again more and more people are wanting to rise up. They don't necessarily know how, and I definitely don't think it's gonna be through the aid of the Democratic Party. Um, it will be despite them. That's that's how I think it's gonna happen, unfortunately.
1: We also have to recognize that the new area of direction regarding big money is going towards individuals like our mutual friend, State Senator Gustavo Rivera, who literally had to fight off an avalanche in order to keep his seat. Um, but because he's such a great representative, he was able to fight it off, as I'm sure is the case for a lot of people that work really hard. Summer Lee, who just got to Congress in Pittsburgh, um, had to feel the wrath of corporate money and almost put a no name in Congress as a result of it. We saw what happened to Nina Turner in Ohio. And obviously, you know, we know Alex is your friend. Um, you know, She's caught between a rock and a hard place all the time. People expect her to move mountains. But what I do think is important to note, and I try to always emphasize this on our show, while she may be relatively ineffectual on the Hill, the impact that she has had in New York, I don't think can be overstated, because I do think that her victory has inspired countless amounts of people at the local level in the city and beyond to run. And I think that's where the whole concept of New York politics has changed for the better. Now, of course, they're going to bring the hammer down and they have an unlimited amount of money with Wall Street. But can you talk about the impact that AOC has had in the New York area, not just with her victory, but what it's done for others in terms of building up this sort of uh, bench, if you will, of momentum that it does exist. And the fact that we're even talking about the prospect of a statewide universal health care system in New York, I think is directly correlated to what her victory has meant and where it's gone for the last uh, you know, four or five years.
0: Did we lose, Alessandra? I don't know. Are you there?
2: Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes, okay. okay, now we can hear you. Okay. So I happen to agree with how you have articulated that and I think in order to um, to really perfectly describe the impact that her election has had as have the organizing impacts beyond just her winning for the first time in 2018, I think it's important to really make everybody who's listening understand really just how impossible New York politics felt for so many people and how many people have had worked for so many years in some instances, decades to try to undo the political machines that exist here. Now, again, I want to just like be very intellectually honest here. New York still has New York city. And it's a place where yes, there are more rights and more laws that protect people than most places on earth. I'm fully aware of that. However, because, again, you have the proximity to New York City, whether it's, you know, Westchester County or, or Long Island, you have had really, I think, a backlog progress because of the perception that New York City is really the, the driving of all of it, and it's not true. And so up in Until 2016, again, there really was not an emphasis on local politics, community boards, on New York City Council races, on the state assembly or the state senate. And I'm just going to like put my hand in the air. You can't see me again because my video is off, but my hand is high up in the air, literally, because I was one of those people that did not think that state government was sexy. I thought it was like the boring place that like, you know, okay, like it's there, no problem. It's gonna be fine. Again, it's New York. And I didn't really understand, even with, again, being fully educated. I am also a lawyer. Like I didn't understand really what was going on behind the scenes. And it wasn't until her race when she won that I fully could have appreciated just what kind of earthquake it created in, let's start with the Bronx, in Queens. And these two places, again, are places that very historically have really set the table for when you close your eyes and think about Tammany Hall politics and just like the political bosses standing outside of the voting booths and where people are going in, handing out like tickets for turkeys and like the things that people like read about in political cartoons was literally happening until 2016 in New York. And it was happening even though, again, people thought this was a place where we had tremendous progress, which in some instances we did. Now, when she won, not only did it scare the heck out of the Bronx Democratic Party, but it also sent a shockwave all the way to the governor's mansion, where I believe he realized that there was going to be a seismic shift in the way the legislature was run. Because of her race and because of the organizing efforts that her and her campaign team were able to do, myself and a lot of others who were running, I would say about 10 others who were running, were able to, again, it wasn't that we weren't organizing. We were, but we were up against a huge wave of people who did not want us to be there. And then when she won, what it did for people's minds was it changed the perception that, oh my God, wait, these are people who could win. So maybe we should start to help them. And that built momentum for us to then take it over the finish line in September when we had our primaries and win. And then from that point forward, so many people, again, at every level of government, we have community boards, we have our city council, state assembly, and state senate started to run for these seats. And in 2020, in again, when I was running for re-election, the assembly, a place that historically was run by so many individuals who literally left the chamber in handcuffs and some of whom literally almost died in prison. Are We saw it changing in 2020. And now what you see in the state assembly is a group of people who, again, are there for the right reasons, are there fighting for all the values that we spoke about, and have changed the way that even the assembly has been run. And I I I really focus on that particular aspect of this and, and the impact that I think that Alex's race has had across the state because the assembly was a place, it felt like it was calcified. Even when I got there and we had such a tremendous change in the Senate, it felt like the the estate assembly in New York was stuck in like 1950. And sometimes on some days it still does. It has changed in a way that I think is so tremendously important. And the biggest change, honestly, overall, is that now there is a spotlight in so many parts of Albany and New York politics that people had no idea about that the people running it and the people who are on their way out of running it can no longer hide from that attention on these particular areas has brought light to a lot of dark places in the state of New York. We still have many dark places to bring light to, but I cannot underestimate or even overemphasize the importance of what that has meant. Because again, when people don't pay attention to state politics and they're turning on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News or whatever, Mm -hmm. what you see all the time is conversations about the president or congress or whatever like it's it's all federal and so when you're not when you don't have that attention on the state government or city government people can get away with all kinds of crazy things and corruption runs rampant and it did and we have literally watched that all melt away again not perfectly we're still working on it but in such a tremendous way that i think it just sends such, such a tremendous amount of hope to individuals like myself and to others to believe, well, it is possible, but most importantly, it changed the public's perception of what was possible. And that allowed for so much change to already happen in, in New York.
1: Highlighting you, Tiffany Caban, Jabari Brisport, Ron T. Kim, um, there are several of you guys who have really made an exceptional impact, and this is, you know, if you want to call it the AOC wave, whatever you want to call it, um, has definitely changed the dynamic. Um, because you guys, I mean, let's be honest: between DeSantis, Newsom, and Cuomo, you're talking about three most powerful governors in the country, and you guys in New York collectively stood up to a basically a tyrant governor and yes. were not willing to back down. Um, Prior to AOC winning, I'm not sure that would have happened. Agreed. And the fact that it did happen and the fact that you, fi- it doesn't matter how you got him out, you got him out. You got out a guy who was not governing on behalf of the people. And, you know, will Hockle do that in her first official term? You know, one hopes that she will. Um, will it be as detrimental as Cuomo? I'm sure it won't be. Um, you know, every victory you got to take, uh, but little by little, you really are changing the dynamic of New York politics. And with that said, this is obviously a perfect transition to, you know, the, the big question, of course, was you were willing to take on a monumental task that, you know, frankly, had very little to any chance of succeeding. But you were, were willing to challenge the DCCC chair who granted its federal politics but I'm sure Mr. Maloney was no better than Jay Jacobs regarding New York politics, federal politics, and so forth. What made you decide, even though it should have been another person running for that, Mm -hmm. uh, but what made you decide to ultimately take on this monumental task, win or lose, you know, you have our respect hundred percent. And ultimately it led Mm -hmm. to him being unseated. We, even though it's a GOP representative, uh, the DCCC chair, I don't think people realize how significant it is that he's been knocked out of Congress. Can you right. talk about what that race meant and and why you ultimately went forward with it?
2: Absolutely, and I want to say that I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the awareness that you both have of just the nuances of what is has what went on with that race but really oh, yeah. you're you like grasped I mean you just like articulated that so perfectly. And I feel like I I feel fully seen. So thank you. (laughs) We see the people behind the curtain. Like we We see the
0: strategy. We see what you're trying to do. And we appreciate that. Sorry, continue.
2: I think that what I'm about to say is going to sound incredibly crazy to a lot of people. And that is absolutely okay with me. So I want to just preface what I'm about to say with that. I am somebody who really understands that sometimes you have to jump off of the cliff and you again might might lose or fall or you know not be able to come back from that particular cliff jump but that the jump itself is an act of just important it's not resistance because resistance really is something that just perpetuates itself over and over again but it's like standing up for the values that we say we care about. I think that when it came to the race in New York 17, and the race for Congress, number one, the very fact that our redistricting process really messed our districts up in such a way that it not only confused voters but it really did lead to voter suppression. And that is something that I have a tremendous difficulty with because so much of what I ran for in the first place was to bring people to the table who historically hadn't had no clue and didn't, couldn't care less about what was going on in their political system. And so to have such a tremendous negative impact with redistricting, changing the districts, drawing the lines over to confuse voters who had had spent so much time educating themselves and getting involved really just frustrated me tremendously. And then when I saw the person whose job it was to help other Democrats win, push out of his district, a member, sitting member of Congress, Mondaire Jones, who is an important voice Not for just our generation, but for changing the dynamics, the political power in Congress, the importance of what he stands for, and also the fact that it was his district and his home. Watching Sean Patrick Maloney decide, well, I'm going to run in your district because it seems like statistically, it's a little easier for me to to run and win there. And oh, it just so happens that my home is in this district, which is such such a, excuse my language, bullshit excuse for somebody who calls himself a leader, because at the end of the day, when your job is to maximize the number of seats that we have in Congress, your job is to do that. No, if it costs, you have to work a little or raise a little more money, but you really making sure that all of the Democrats that are elected win their reelection and get the support that they need. You don't put yourself first. And unfortunately that's what he did. And so Again, not making excuses for Mondaire leaving. Of course, that was his choice to leave. If I was him, I would have stayed. I actually tried very hard to encourage him to do so. He left his district and ran for Congress in lower Manhattan. And so what that meant was we had Sean Patrick Maloney deciding to run in this district. And again, I knew it was a long shot. But at the same time, sometimes you... Or I should say me, I, sometimes I know that the chances are low, but that the actual action is an important action to take, whether it's for the present or for the future, because when you have political individuals acting in their own self-interest, that is the antithesis of what it means to be a public servant. And I knew, and I felt this very deep in my heart that I was done with my time in the Senate. I couldn't have taken that risk or done what I did if I felt like I wanted to go back to the New York State Senate, because that would have been just very difficult for me to be able to do, even though again there was always more work to do, but I felt like i I did what I came to do and now I'm t- it's time for me to move on to something else and so I felt like I could take that risk but I also felt like I understood the storm that I was walking into that I that they would throw tremendous amounts of money at me that they would try to essentially crush me or, or you know destroy me and that I would survive it. And the importance of that, again, is because when I think about New York politics, and I just think about politics generally, I'm constantly surrounded by people whose number one priority in public elected office is to hold onto their seat. I have, I know that might sound Pollyanna of me, like, well, Sandra, like, what do you think their job is to do? Well, I think their job is to serve people. (laughs) Like, that's like, like, call me completely crazy. But this is not meant to self-serve. So when I saw somebody basically take, the opposite approach here, I felt like it was, it was something I could do and it was something I could do something about. And I knew I could do it because again, I have in the fights that you've mentioned, the first fight running for the state Senate, you you know, fighting against our former governor in a way that was so difficult that we really did think we would get wiped out of office just because of that. And I think one could probably argue that he was behind a lot of the money spent on some of our races, but that's, that's neither here nor there. But the point is that I knew I could do it and still be able later on to come back into politics if I wanted to, but that I had to take a stand against that because again, it felt like everything that I fight for every single day, this person embodied the opposite of, and when you, all you care about again, is just being reelected and putting yourself first and you don't care actually about the people you represent or about even invigorating people or making them energized then i don't particularly believe that you have a place in elected office especially for the future of what the democratic party i believe can be and i think that this general election not only proved that but i want to just really highlight this the person I ran against is John Patrick Maloney, who again, lost his general election against a basically pardon me, but like a no name assembly member. I mean, really, truly, he was just elected to the to the assembly about two years ago is really just embarrassing and unacceptable because when you lose by under 3,000 votes, that's a field margin. And what that tells me and what that should tell everybody is that that there was a lack of organization on the ground. And again, you wanna zoom out, that means that there is a lack of organization and infrastructure in the state Democratic Party in New York. And that's a problem. <laughs> so I think it's, it's less about like, well, you know, he lost because of this or this shouldn't have happened. It's more that I think what we're left with here is that, did I want him to win over Mike Lawler? Absolutely. I don't want Mike Lawler, a Republican who pretends to be a moderate Republican, but really is a MAGA Republican to represent myself or anybody in the state of New York, because there's no place for for that kind of person in elected office either. However, I hope that, and this is my hope, that the losses of... um him, who runs the entire Democratic arm for members of Congress to, again, have re-election and to win, but also for the state party in New York to take a look at themselves in the mirror and to really get honest about what needs to change. I don't have that much hope that they will do it without the organizing that we are doing to change the leadership there. But I think that you know, if you ask me right now, well, would you do it again? Would you run for Congress again? And knowing what the outcome would be, knowing that that they would hire a van to drive around the district and to, tell people that because you voted for you know, certain criminal justice efforts that you know, you're releasing quote-unquote criminals onto the street. Absolutely, I would do it again. And the reason is because I'm not afraid of these people and the money that they spend. And I think that the more that I can stand for that, hopefully the more that I can inspire others who are afraid to think to themselves, well, she did it. She didn't win, but she's still standing. She's still talking. She's still there. And I can do it too. And we can be less attached to the outcome of these races and more attached to the deep organizing, the values driven races that will actually ultimately lead to transformational change in the future. So what are you going to do now? Are you going? What kind of law,
0: well, what kind of law were you doing, or like what you know? Where do you see yourself going now that you're moving on with this?
2: I am going to take a year. So next year, I'm going to go to Harvard Divinity School for one year. I was planning to do that, win or lose. By the way, So this was a plan in the books because I I really believe that at the root of so much of what is unfortunately dividing both parties, but really people, is this lack of even understanding, especially on the democratic side, of the importance of religion in people's lives. I don't consider myself to be very religious. I was raised Roman Catholic. I certainly am very spiritual, but I don't have a full understanding or appreciation of its impact on politics historically and present day. All that I know about religion and politics is that the right loves to use it for their own gain. They pervert it in a way that makes completely no sense. And there's really no response to it or even platform on our side to address it in a way that's actually effective. And I'm I'm deeply curious about how to do that and how to be a voice that isn't just on, and again, the importance of Twitter, I cannot, again, I cannot overstate. It is so important. It brings awareness to things, but it's very limited because, There's only so much you can communicate on Twitter. There's really not always room for nuance. And I think that sometimes it can cause more problems than actually creating solutions. And so I want to be able to have deep and be part of deep transformational change. So I'll do that next year. And then we will see what happens. But I certainly am not done in politics Yet, But I don't know what that means for the future. So we'll see. I think time will unfold it for me and the truth will reveal itself. You know what What?
0: that reminded me of though when when Mm -hmm. she was just saying? Well, we had, like it was a long time ago already, we had uh, John Fugel saying on. I don't know if you remember that interview. And he is somebody, and I don't know if he went to school for it, but is very, very well, very devout and very well-versed and definitely uses it for good and not evil. And he loves to like contradict the, the right-wing evangelicals that basically use their religion to do so. And so this just has reminded me I of that. It was a great interview. Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with John Fugel saying um, he's, he was, he's an actor, but he also has like a, I don't know if it's a show podcast. Or, yeah. He's in New York. Yeah. But, um, yeah, that's one of his things. So you're saying, and, and to me, I see that is the resistance that you're talking about from like the religious left.
1: Well, not to be biased in any yes. way. I come from, um, I have a Jewish mother and an Irish father. And, uh, one thing that is uh, very telltale in politics is, um, the, the, the way that, Uh, the Catholics conduct business politically is a lot different than the way evangelicals conduct business. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, we have to, we have to keep things a hundred percent as far as that. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And, but I also think too, like there's really is a void of conversation. And if you're, I mean, this is my own perspective and other people can have different experiences, of course, but my experience with religion in the democratic party is you go to visit a black church And that completes so completely, I mean, that's one piece of religion, but it's not all of it. And I think that I have, I mean, I've been so fortunate to represent a district that has a very large Jewish population. And I have learned so much, so much about Judaism and also find, frankly, and I can say this because I was raised Catholic and went through all the sacraments and went to church, that the Jewish religion and faith, is so much more advanced. And so I I understand again, that there are different sects of it, but that from what I understand and how the Torah has been interpreted, it's just so much more advanced in thinking than Catholicism. And again, I think we could probably nuance the argument back and forth. Well, you know, you have ultra Orthodox and you have, I got it, totally understand. But my experience has been that there are parts of it, even the most advanced parts of Judaism on the other side with Catholicism, it's not even close. And so there's something to learn from that and to take forward in how we learn that. And I think that it could really, I think people will be more attracted and and want to start their, day, their days feeling better about the world and about how to move forward in their chat than to walk away or end their day feeling like, everything is awful and bad things are happening, which unfortunately is the message on the right so much of the time. And it's depressing and it's not necessary. And I think we have to just offer something different here.
1: Well, I think people definitely use religion as a weapon. Uh, I do believe that when it comes to, uh, you know, the teachings of Jesus in particular, uh, it's almost juxtaposed to what the church preaches. Um, Because again, uh, religion is supposed to be about you know, not just bettering yourself, but about bettering your community. And all too often it's used as, you know, you want to say that it's a money-making scheme. There's a lot of different components that go into the religious um, right. avenue, but in politics in particular. And that's why as, as much as people have their issues with, with Donald Trump, my bigger issues is with somebody like Mike Pence, um, yes. the idea that a man like him could get so close to the presidency and, and, whether it was Joe Biden or these other people that were that treated Pence like he was so beloved, I'm like if this guy gets to the top, yes. he would turn this country into a theocracy if he could get yes. away with it.
2: Correct. And it would be it would we would be in the handmaid's tale. Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's right. I mean, that's uh, he is absolutely part of what we're seeing with the Supreme Court and how so much of oh, yeah. what the rulings are based in is just upholding. Christianity I mean it's complete madness and it's also so ironic because this country started and I mean again I am fully aware of the Takings of land and all of the things that happened that are completely outrageous and also people came to this country from Europe to literally escape religious persecution. So (laughs) the fact that we are here with people who are trying very hard to make it a essentially one party rule led by one particular religion is so, um, it's just so disappointing and also is such a, a cause for continuing to be active and to be engaged and also to really push back on that to balance out the scales because it's, if we allow it to go unchecked, as unfortunately, again, it has gone in some capacity, especially with the Supreme Court, because there hasn't oh, been yeah. accountability in ways that I think are very important in order yeah. for that body to be legitimate, then we're really not going to be a country that's recognizable. And for many of us, I'm sure all of us here, present company included, like that's not that's not an acceptable future that any of us are okay with. No, but also let's take note that even
0: though a lot of those things, like we're talking about obviously a Trump appointed court, you know, like we're talking about that, but the Democrats were in lockstep with them the entire step of the way, you know, why didn't Obama fight for Merrick Garland? He didn't, he basically rolled over. It's really like we could sit there and blame the Republicans because yeah, they did put these people in, but note that across the board, when it comes to like standing up to the religious evangelical influence on the right, the Democrats are pretty silent. At best, what they do is, like you said, they'll go into like some Southern black churches and try to woo that community. And, but they don't speak out against the religious infiltration um, that they should. There aren't Democrats, instead of them fighting and saying separation of church and state, what you see is them walking on eggshells, but trying to secretly wink, wink. But yes, I'm still Christian,
2: right? Though that's and and why is that? It's because there's a break in integrity somewhere because they're trying to have it both ways, and you can't have it both ways. You have to take a, this is. I mean, we saw this with abortion and Roe. Yeah. For fifty years, we saw Republicans coming for this particular right to be taken away. It was not surprising, even though I'm not even close to fifty years old, to me <laughs> that this is what they were up to. So the fact that there wasn't the same level of fervor from the Democrats to protect Roe and to even have it be part of a constitutional amendment or to actually codify it just signals to me that there is still a large part of the party, and this is where there's room for improvement, but there's still a large part of the party that's really trying to like you know, be like, quote unquote, be the adult in the room. Like, you know, be calm, like take it easy, like keep right. the peace. You, they're not keeping the peace. They are, at, at a, they will have a street fight with us. And at the end of the day, I mean, politics is a, like a contact sport. So you have to be willing to throw it all into the mix to be able to fight for things in order for people to see that you're actually fighting for them. I think Republicans do a tremendously good job at that. And I don't think that enough of us on this side do.
1: Well, that's why, you know, being, uh, you know, an Italian New Yorker definitely gets in your (laughs) blood. Well, I was actually going to say she's
0: being a little bit generous as far as I'm concerned, because I think it's more than them just being complacent. I think that the leaders of the Democratic Party never want to codify Roe versus Wade because that's their number one fundraising thing. They wouldn't have been done as well in Florida. I don't don't really
2: disagree with you. I think that there's some truth to that. I don't know how, like, I don't know how many people that's true with, but I do think that like, there is also a level of not taking seriously this like fight to take away Roe. I think a lot of people thought like, well, it's the law of the land. So nothing's going to happen to it, which I, I think is really Difficult for somebody like myself, who, again, is on the younger side of politics, looking at all of this. It's so obvious to me what they're doing. But and I take it very seriously. And the fact that they were doing this little by little over time, filling up the school boards, filling up these other positions, like, you know, introducing crazy bills that kept failing. At a certain point, those crazy bills are starting to become law. And now we're watching them become law in lots of different places. And I think that the lack of just like, I don't know if it's like not wanting to see the truth or just like putting, you know, burying your head in the sand. I really don't know. But I I think think that-
1: I think it's definitely a generational thing. I mean, like you, you know, you and Alex would be a great example because you're Italian and Puerto Rican Catholic from New York, respectively. Uh, Our president- and the top Democrat in the House, but let's be honest, the two leaders of the Democratic Party, Pelosi and Biden, are uh, they're, they're Catholic themselves, Italian and Irish Catholic. Right. And they are from not one, but two generations separated from right. where you are now. And right. the way they look at the world, especially one who's in their 80s and one who's pushing 80, uh, it, it or is in their they're both in their 80s, excuse me, yes. uh, That. You know, again, we don't want to be ageist here, but it gets to the point where you realize that they do not not only are they just completely engulfed in the corporate infrastructure, but they do not identify with normal, everyday people. They also have no empathy for normal, everyday people because they haven't been normal, everyday people for 50 plus years. Well, right.
0: Their people can always get an abortion. Their people will always yes, have access exactly. to reproductive health care. And see, this is something I'm sure you'll appreciate Alessandra, because what I, what I've often said is really, first of all, somebody who, and I, you probably have read Roe just from law school. We read it yes. and I remember, and it was always tenuous, right? Like Roe is never a great decision. It was always sort of the penumbra of rights. And it was yes. always sort of something that could be overturned. And we knew this, like yes. I knew this as an attorney, um, but the, the people who it affects, that really this affects, are the suburban wealthy people. Because quite honestly, the vulnerable people haven't had real access to reproductive health care in years. Yes, correct. years. I lived in Texas. Um, when I went to law school, I was in Texas. And in the entire state, and this was 97 to 2000, there were only two facilities where people can have an abortion in the state of Texas. So for most people, that's not obtainable, not right. to mention can't afford it. Can't get, you know what I mean? So right. like these services have not been available for most like people in need yes. for years. Yes. And so this whole rovers, it's a, that offends the white women in the suburbs is what right. that offends.
2: Right. Right. And, and I think part of what you're touching on here is that when we think about like, who will always have access to an abortion if they need it? People who are wealthy, people yep. who are predominantly white, as we have seen, and who will not have access to abortion services, whether it's getting an abortion, whether it is getting access to the morning after pill, after pill, whether it's contraception now, IVF. I mean, they're starting to go down the list of things that they're attacking, but it will be the individuals who are... Number one, women of color. Number two, women who can't get childcare, who can't take off of work, who can't travel for the day. And it's why so many of us have really been very clear, especially in New York. It's like we passed and codified Roe in New York in 2019. And then literally months later... Myself and a few others introduced bills, one of which was an abortion access fund, because simply because you have the right to something doesn't mean that you actually have the means to access that right. And that's unfortunately what is undermining all of this conversation with Roe. Yeah, no, this just reminded me,
0: anybody out there, if you are in Broward, please support BWF, Broward Women's Emergency Fund. I used to have a thing in the band. I thought I used to have a to put the information for BWF, but that is our local abortion fund uh, that we have here, uh, and you know we're never going to have that, as far as I can see, on a state level. So, guys, definitely support our local abortion fund,
1: Alessandra. I don't want to tell you what you should do in '24, but I can definitely say that, based on the fact that Mr. Maloney was knocked out, based on the fact you did run for Congress in the district and are very familiar, the fact that it is a swing district, and this guy Lawler will obviously, you know, be very wet behind the ears um, in his position um it does seem like from a strategy standpoint that potentially running for that seat again will obviously be to your advantage because there isn't the democratic incumbent roadblock that is there um obviously you've built up a very solid network and your ground game especially in a general election will completely trump no pun intended um Mm -hmm. what this uh you know, what this representative Lawler will be able to do. Uh, and I certainly hope if uh, if Jen does decide to run against Wasserman Schultz again, that you guys will have each other's back because mm-hmm. I think you're definitely on the same page. And, you know, we need to be uh, we need to be codifying our network a lot stronger than it has been. And one of the reasons why things fail on the non-corporate side of politics is because, There's too many chefs in the kitchen, a lot of ego, a lot of ego, and people need to accept the fact that not everybody is going to be doing things the way that you want them to do it. Like if you can't see that AOC is a net positive, then I don't know what you're looking at. I understand you may not like her tactics in every way, but you have to recognize where the positives lie. That's like right. the, the ripple effect of what happened in your race is a prime example of how the disorganization within the left, because Yuli knew should right. be going to Congress right agree. now. And, agree. If was, and if it was organized, she would be.
2: That's right. That's right. And I think one thing, if I may, first pers- and like I appreciate what you've just said there, because I think that's a key feature of why we are not always successful, even when we have the policies that are most popular. And I think one takeaway that I am really, really clear about now that maybe perhaps that was like 50% clear about or like wasn't fully, you know, bought in on, on the belief of this, but I can see it very clearly now. It, it's this. It's not that the progressive policies are not popular and that's why races are lost. It's that the money is not the same as perhaps a primary challenger who has corporate donations. And so when your message can only get one mile and their message can go 50 miles, of course, more people are going to hear their message. And then as a result, that's what they're going to hear. And then they're going to vote because more people were reached in terms of what your message is as a candidate. I think one of the other things we have to do is make sure that we are funded, that we're not afraid to talk about money. I think that we have a tremendous opportunity to be able to raise the money that we need if we, to your point, actually like stick together because the network might not be as large as the corporate network, but it's still very large. And there is enough money to go around and there is enough talent to be able to get into place, to be able to run in these places that will build the power that I know is more popular ultimately than what so many corporate Democrats are up to. And I think that it's just gonna take something a little bit bigger. And I, I really, really, really hope and like truly hope that we're able to do it in the next two, four, six years because we have an opportunity to. And I am tr- every single day thinking to myself that if we don't, we like we will absolutely lose the hold on the power that we've built. And if I can just like leave with one story of Inside Baseball to share with your listeners and with both of you, I would really love to do it specifically around the issue of Bro. I think that when it comes to like okay, the left is organizing and and we're raising awareness and we're like saying, hey, like, you know, it's not a matter of if, but when Rose overturned and people are like rolling their eyes at us. We have people in our own party rolling our eyes at us. And I was one of those people that people were rolling their eyes at. And I just remember even this past budget, I'm talking 2022 in New York, we're trying to pass a budget and the budget's over and we don't have any money allocated for any of the abortion providers or women's health providers in the state of New York that they requested. It was like $30 million. It wasn't even that much money considering how large our budget is $212 billion budget. And so after the budget was passed, One of the individuals who runs one of these networks called me. I will not give their name up, but it was an individual from a network that everyone is very familiar with when it comes to abortion and abortion access. And they told me they requested from the governor, Governor Hochul, to have $30 million allocated because they were anticipating the influx of individuals coming to New York for these kinds of services. And then it was rejected. And I just found that to be so absolutely unbelievable and again, I think it's a symptom of, well, I'm safe and it's not really urgent for me. So I am so out of touch with what so many people feel that it really doesn't matter. And when it when it does matter, we'll do a press conference and we'll pass some bills and put some money in, but like, it's going to be fine and we'll make it seem like we're actually doing enough. And so I did an interview the next day with the cut and I literally said, this was money that was requested. It was Planned Parenthood requested this money and they you know, were rejected. And lo and behold, like days later, the governor literally came out and was like, hey, so we're going to give $30 million for abortion access. And I just, I want to end on that story because I think what's so important is that There is a way to talk about this, to continue to like take the light, put it on the people in our own party who are preventing us from having progress to push them along to actually do the right thing, but that there's also a world that we absolutely can live in and we all have the keys to access it. We just have to like get a little closer to it to be able to put the key in the door. But there's a world that we can access where the people in office don't need to be told what the right thing is to do. And I feel like we are very close to that happening.
0: I just want to ask you something. So, like in your in your year off of of going back to school, how do you feel about p- participating, being on a board of an organization called Citizens Against Corruption?
2: I mean, that sounds quite up my alley, considering that yeah. I'm the chair of the ethics committee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I I will reach out to you on that
0: further because there is there is something in the process of being formed right now that would basically be the anti pack to the corporate.
2: Wow. I think that is so tremendous and I cannot wait to hear more because that's, that's it. Like we need that. That's the money needs to go into a place that can be used in a powerful way to defeat these kinds of holds on our politics. Like, I think that by the way, Republicans and Democrats alike who are like really sick and tired of corporate politics would agree with that and that i think is the crossover appeal for those kinds of voters who might not agree on everything with us however might see the people fighting for that as like these are the real this is the real deal like let's get behind them and i can say that with confidence because it's happened to me and i think that that is so incredible so please keep Yes i will reach out because
0: this is something that i think is very important and i've learned especially from watching races like Nina's race Or what Katie Porter just had to put up with when you're dealing with this influx of money and there's really nobody on your side helping you, you know, again, your party's not going to do anything for you. That's for sure. Right. So we need we need to have that. And so I've been like marinating on this for a couple of years now and I I have some ideas, but one of them is going to be this organization. So.
1: Incredible. Alessandra, this conversation has been too good to let it end without one final important question, because I do think that this is an elephant in the room that doesn't get talked about enough in politics regarding one of the biggest impediments within the Democratic Party. And that, of course, is the consultant class. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a huge problem that people want to ignore and act like it doesn't actually play a significant role in why things don't get done. Um, true. There are people get hired on campaigns that are not actually doing their job frankly, they're probably doing it deliberately incorrectly to make sure that people lose. Yep. And so can you talk about, especially being in New York City, we obviously saw the mayoral race that happened recently, the congressional race that had everybody in it. Can you talk about the impact and negative impact that the consultant class has on politics? Because we've got a huge
0: problem. I call them white collar carnies.
2: <laughs> that's, actually, that's incredible. Um, it's, it's tremendously powerful as a group of people. And in the state of New York, not only are they allowed to be campaign consultants, they can also be lobbyists. And there is a bill in the legislature that is tending to prevent them from doing that. But if you can imagine, they help you get elected, they help somebody get elected. And then when you're elected, they're lobbying you to pass a bill for a client that they've hired. I mean, it's so absolutely <laughs> gratuitous and just disgusting. We have no other way to put it. We and, can't even
0: get our state party to block dark money in primaries. Oh, no, well, we can't the National, either, Russia, the, the
2: National Party, right? They won't even block it in primaries. Same. And in fact, you know, if you want to just take it back to, again, the DCCC chair, right? The yeah. person whose job it is to make sure Democrats win. One of the things that he was touting um, During our primary race, was that the DCCC ended this policy called blacklisting? Blacklisting yes. was right. I, I'm very familiar with the blacklisting. Right. So they said oh, I ended this, and that's something positive that we've done. And then, and I was on a you know a committee meeting, and I just I had again. I am somebody who must take light and like put it on the place, especially when somebody just sets themselves up for this. And I had known that the people who were on my team were getting calls from his team, threatening their careers and their lives. And so after he was done speaking, I said, you know, you might've ended the blacklist publicly, but then why is your campaign team and your congressional team calling my consultants and threatening their careers? Yeah, that's awesome. And he couldn't answer for it. And he was absolutely embarrassed and angry that I brought it up. And I understand I would be angry, too, because that's incredibly like it just proved that he didn't have integrity. But I think the point here is that there is this like perception of like, oh, no, they're trying to do the right thing. But the reality is that that the Democratic Party wants certain consultants to continue to perpetuate their message. They don't want anybody who is new or has a different ideas. They don't want anybody who's not loyal to them blindly. And I think that one of the hardest things when you're running for office and what I ran up against in 2018, and luckily like was able to overcome it is that people are afraid to work for you. They're afraid to have their name on your financial disclosure because there is political retribution that still exists. It's very hard. It's very hard. And I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to downplay it at all because it's people's careers and their livelihoods, but it is certainly something that can be overcome with state legislation and also federal legislation as well. But there has to be a willingness. And I think ethics reform at the federal level specifically on preventing members of congress from stock trading and their partners or their families as well as making sure that there are actual disclosures being put in place when they do trade and there's accountability that happens when you have members of congress making millions of dollars <laughs> based off of information they receive from being members of congress it's such a turnoff to the american public regardless of party that and it's something that will allow us to return integrity to The system, but again, too many people benefit from it because they have been there for way too long. So the consultant Uh, class is a huge part of that.
1: I definitely agree. And I think that the biggest reason why they don't turn away uh, and go to, let's say, the labor movement that's growing exponentially, and we all saw what a fundraising powerhouse Bernie was, the truth is, they want the money to stay exactly as it is from Wall Street and Silicon Valley because the consultant class in particular makes money hand over fist. Whether they win or lose, and in the Democratic Party, the one That's thing great. that we always can give the GOP credit yes, for, us, this they is are true. a much better structured party. They are a, a, a yes. bottom-up approach. And in the GOP, if you want to be a consultant, you actually have to win races in order to get hired. Right. Whereas in the Democratic Party, you could lose oh, 10 my god and it doesn't they matter. They just
0: keep recycling the same and hiring the same consultants. It's really, it's like, it's basically like a pyramid scheme.
1: And yes. If, if you're thinking about having, let's say, real non-corporate consultants who actually help you win, their goal is to make sure that you're succeeding based on what's in the interest of working people. That's right. The current consultant class, their interest is a six, you know, it's a six-figure career. That's yes. that's how it is. And so right. the dy- right. dynamic cannot change because it's juxtaposed to what we're trying to do. It's that's so why, true. in my opinion, there's such an epitome
2: you're like a hundred percent correct and when you do find the people, the very few group of people who yeah. are not like that, like you hold on to them with dear life because they are not just there for the right reasons but they also simultaneously feel like go right ahead and try to like crush me like it's not I'm not gonna stop and I think you know I, I've probably met in this thought well, Seven years total, if you're counting like the presidential that I worked on before, probably only a handful of people. And when I did meet them, I will tell you, they changed my entire life and and in a way that I honestly could never like repay them with because Mm -hmm. their belief in the cause was so incredibly deep that it out, like it silenced all of the like institutional consultants and the threats that we were receiving in a way that just made me feel like, okay, like we have our like Avengers team here like, let's go. But so many people don't get that. And like, and that's something that, again, it's like, we want to change the way this is done. That's a key feature of, of how you change it. And it's really, it's, it's hard. It's again, despite all the things we talked about, all the changes, all the incredible things, It's still really hard because if you just follow the money trail in all these different lanes, it leads to people who are grasping onto their power and have built it based off of this particular way the system has worked. So it's possible to change it, but it's going to take something.
0: We're working on shifting that paradigm. I mean, I I have some ideas as to how it should be done, what it should look like, what campaigning should look like, and it's funny. Like we were talking about, his, he does fantasy football and plays like has this pretend team, and I'm trying to understand. I don't understand how pretend team gets points, but whatever. Um, but like I in my mind play like fantasy campaign team, yeah, and like think about the people, oh, yeah. That, That would actually be valuable. And it's not always the i I'm almost sort of like, did you ever see the replacements? I feel like sometimes I'm like Gene Hackman, the replacements, like, (laughs) like, it's not necessarily the people that you think it would be for that, but they're good because of this, this and this, right? Like, and I just feel like that's what we need to get better at doing is recognizing skill and talent in other places That that's amongst people with our mission, because we're not finding it amongst the people that have been generally trained in what we're doing.
2: And why that is like just to take it back to the point that like we basically like started here and like it's such a perfect place to just like put this pin in it. What the Republican Party does so well is this. They see talent in their party and they embrace them and they bring them in and they say, Oh, look at this star over here. The person yeah. can be off the wall, completely out of their mind. It doesn't them. They see value, they bring the person in. On the Democratic Party side, if somebody is getting attention, raising awareness, people are organizing with them, or they like, you know, they're getting media. What a lot of leaders, and I my personal experience of this, a lot of leaders in the Democratic Party do, they try to crush you. They try to silence you. They don't even Gosh. see that. It's like my grandma, my Italian grandma had a saying, like, don't cut off your nose to spite your face. Literally, they cut off their nose to spite their face all day long. It's completely ridiculous. And it's such an unforced error that we could learn from. But again, it's like this generational divide that they see this new talent as like a threat to their power when they actually should see it as like, oh, my God, this could actually not only make us more powerful as a party, but like it could like embolden and and like bring more people in. They don't see it like that. It's just, it's my
1: uh, I mean, look, you know, Congresswoman Stefanski would be a great example of that. And they, you know, you're looking at somebody who is a complete, <laughs> complete and utter <laughs> political dinosaur, fancy. D-
0: um, Is D- co- Dinosaur dinosaur. <laughs>
1: And she, and, you know, Stefanski is a complete so funny, political chameleon man. and is going to do and say anything and everything. Uh, but clearly, whatever she's doing in upstate New York is getting the job done. Right. And people clearly like what she has to say, and that on it from her from her perspective yeah, has so clearly true. worked for her. Yeah. And it's worked because in the GOP, the only thing that matters is winning.
0: Winning. That's, That's it. The-
1: only thing that matters when Dana Walsh, head of the NRA, says, I don't care about the background of Herschel Walker. I care about winning the Senate. Yes. I don't care how despicable he is actually saying those words because they know he is. That's but right. for them, it's like, no, nope, that's another vote for McConnell in the Senate. And that's what matters to us. That's and right. so that mindset attracts a lot of people. We are a country that is attracted to leaders who want to kick ass and take names.
2: That's right. And that goes back to the street fight, like the context for it. Like there are some people in the Democratic Party who have shown that kind of fighting. They like for all of their tragic flaws. I think that Andrew Cuomo for, again, somebody that I don't particularly feel fond of at all, like he is somebody who literally took everything seriously and fought his ass off again for reasons and things that like i don't agree with but the point is that like he took these things seriously and i think that there are unfortunately more like bad examples in the democratic party than successful ones yet there are still examples of like what people are attracted to like what Human psychology is attracted to. And I think that when you put two people side by side, like it might be nice to listen to somebody have an intellectual debate and like shake your head, like, oh, yeah, that person's right. But at the end of the day, like you want to be part of like the winning team. I used to be, I used to say like, I want to be part of the Yankees because like the Yankees used to win everything and now they're not like getting to the World Series. So that's like neither here nor there. But the point is you want to be on the winning team and that requires champion mentality, which we are not demonstrating.
1: That is why these conversations are so important, because I really I, I am aghast at how people are underestimating DeSantis. I don't know yes. why they're doing that. Um, they, they All I can say is if it's DeSantis versus Joe Biden, wrap it up because it's going to be ugly.
0: But I think and- that that's I, I think who honestly there's nobody on the Democrat side that really has a chance. And the only way it would be is, yes, if Joe runs again, he has an incumbent advantage. Right. Fine. But that's, but the, but it would be the bare minimum. Like I'd give him the three point home field advantage
2: and that's it. That's at best.
0: And, we're, and, and I we're think
2: part of that though, is like, we, it's because we don't have a bench. Like we just right. don't have that. Oh. So that's, but, that's on, but
1: that's, but let's be honest. That's done on
2: purpose. They don't care to win. People like Nancy
0: Pelosi don't want to, they don't want things to change. They much rather have a Republican than a progressive. Yeah. I think so that
2: we're fighting exactly that. At. And I'm, I, I am actually like constantly every day going back and forth in my head on this. Like, I really don't want that to be true. I really don't. But I think that the aggression towards progressives is so much greater than the aggression that they have towards Republicans. And that just speaks for itself.
1: Well, that's just about the corporate infrastructure of the United States. It's right? not, you know, so much, um, you know, when you hear the scorn you know, that one has, I mean, we get that you got to play the game, but you know, Alex let it slip the other day to her credit, even though she, you know, kind of did it with a wink wink. It's like, you really think there was a vote on whether or not the democratic party got to decide if Hakeem Jeffries was going to replace Nancy Pelosi. This right. thing has done so far in advance, so many years in advance, so many roadblocks are put in place to ensure. And like I even said, like being a New Yorker, you have to admit that it couldn't be more epitomous of how far the party has fallen, that the right. two leaders of the Democratic Party are from New York City. You literally And have from the
2: same borough.
1: From the same borough. I mean, at this point, when they say that the Democratic Party doesn't care about anybody but the major coastal city elites, it's like you're proving it with your actions. Yeah, That's the problem. And that's why it gives us the opportunity to- yeah, you want to say storm the castle or whatever you, you know want to call it. But if we ever figure out a way to recognize that we're not going to win every battle, but that if we stick to a non-corporate economic populist message of a living wage, universal health care, a clean energy grid, ending the wars and criminal justice reform, I mean, that is a winning message, and it's one that will resonate with everybody. And the way it works is if they know you're not funded by corporate special interests, they will not only donate to you, they will work their ass off for you. And it is really that simple.
2: That's right. They will. They actually will. And I like that you say economic populace because I think that that is exactly exactly right. So I'm glad that you say that.
1: Well, this conversation, I am sure. Could go on for another two hours. So
2: nice to meet you.
1: <laughs> and, so
2: nice to meet you too. This is so wonderful.
1: And please, the next time you come on, hopefully there will be a visual as well. Yeah,
0: I, yes. you know it's better to see. But um, you know, it's nice when, and I always say this when, like <clears throat> when you meet other people on your team, um, it's it's just very, it's nice. It's sort of like you're no. you're finding your people in in the room full of people. You know. I,
2: could not agree with you more and I promise you that the next time that I'm on you will have a visual of me my like in all in all fairness like if I turn this video on we would probably you probably hear like three words out of every 10 and it would be a terrible interview so no it's I appreciate appreciate you bearing with me okay
0: so I'm gonna reach out to you then and so you won't be shocked when you get something for me okay I,
2: I will look forward to it Thank you so much, Alessandra. Have a Merry Christmas
1: and a Happy New Year. Thank you You so much You as well. Thank you so
2: much for what you do. I appreciate it so much. Same to you. Bye. Thanks, Alessandra. She is lovely.
1: Yes, she was. And yeah, you found a political
0: comrade. Well, it's always nice when you meet people that are clearly on your team. Can I first start off by saying- Double K. Double K, you are way too sweet. You're the best. I you mean, really, Kat, are. really
1: You really are. It makes our it, it makes us doing the show uh, that much easier. Well, and
0: it's it's nice because it's it's like I know that there's people that appreciate and that can't afford to give. But it is nice when you can see that people appreciate enough that they want to put their money where their mouth is.
1: Yeah. And honestly, if there are people out there, I appreciate know, it very
3: much. It does, helps.
1: And, and look, anyone who is going to come on here and try to troll Jen and. Try to be a Debbie Downer, no pun intended, to Debbie our kind Debbie. of thing. Uh, honestly, it's change is inevitable, whether you like it or not. Even the most hardened person who believes that nothing is possible—it's just the way it is—and no one is agreeing to any type of fundamental change that is necessary. The change will inevitably come.
0: It's happening. It just does. It It happens over time. Give yourself Um,
1: the name recognition, money, the connections, the hard work that comes with it, the belief in the change. And one thing I will say in response to, I'm not going to name the person, but just one thing I'm going to say in the chat. No, people don't actually love Debbie. They fear Debbie. And Debbie is as responsible as anybody for the collapse of the Florida Democratic Party. National. No, well, national as well. Yes. She already destroyed national. Now she's working on the state much harder. So she's one of the reasons
0: we have very little democratic resistance.
1: That is correct. And part of the reason why so many of these seats that shouldn't have been able to be challenged were challenged. Uh, The reason why you have a Statewide nominee that shouldn't have been. There should have been better choices. And why that statewide nominee had the support of that particular sitting congresswoman before the primary was even over, doing it in the backyard.
0: Then of, why did I lose? I really love to know who this person actually is because we don't believe for a second that you're that. But but the thing is, is that well, let's see. Politics is, is complicated. May but I'm, as a first-time run, please okay. do.
1: First time <laughs> candidate, name recognition, literally. Having the weight of the fear mongering going around about Trump, 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 the fact that the money advantage was so significant, we didn't exactly know what we were doing and were able to basically figure it out along the way and got relatively close. You know, everyone looks at 40 points and thinks, ah, oh, that's a land. That's a, and it is a land. Oh, yeah. There's no question about it. But over time, things change don't need to get into specifics, no. but just know that name recognition matters, fundraising matters, ground game matters, being able to execute properly matters. There's a lot of nuance that goes into this. Most
0: first-time campaigns are not successful. No, they are not. And most ca- first-time campaigns don't get anywhere near what we got against Correct. an incumbent like that, which mm-hmm. speaks volumes as to really how vulnerable she is. But we as politically knowledgeable people, how this works now after doing this for a few years, um, see things that you don't necessarily see. But you would be hard pressed to find a first time run against a sitting incumbent that came anywhere near where we get. And
1: I would also say, and this is a great point by PERS, great fe- great friend of the show. Uh, PERS brings up a great point. The reason why I think if Jen did run again, again, no guarantees it's going to happen. But if it did, one of the reasons I do think Jen has a real puncher's chance is that If Cori Bush can beat Lacey Clay, a real political dynasty in St. Louis, then anything's possible. And
0: her numbers, well, and she ran how many times? Twice. Twice. Mm -hmm. And her numbers went from, what was her numbers the first time? Very
1: similar to what yours were. She had like 33 or 34%, Right, okay. And then she was able to win the second time. And credit to her doing what she did, because Cori's been great. Yeah, I mean,
0: this this, is a marathon we're dealing with and and the campaigns are all part of that snowball. That's what it really is. So mm -hmm. when you look at it, well, why did you lose? The problem with that way of thinking is I really see it's a very sort of Democrat way of thinking because you don't look at campaigns as part of a greater movement because you're not wanting to be part of a greater movement. There's also
1: people within the local area, as well as the state, who recognize that the Florida Democratic Party is destroyed. It has been decimated. It has no leverage. And it comes back to one person, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. Why? Because Debbie is responsible, much like Jay Jacobs is the state chair and causing all the havoc in the state of New York. Well, that is a very similar set of circumstances that we're dealing with here in the state of Florida with Manny Diaz. Manny Diaz is only the state party chair because of Debbie and Michael Bloomberg and the things that have come as a result, losing untold amounts of ground, losing counties, not just Miami-Dade, but plenty of, of, of infrastructure throughout the state. You can make lots of different arguments as to why that has happened. That to me
0: really is what it's about. But we've met so many people over the past few years who are what you would call supporters of the party, that they see what's going on and they are not fans of Debbie and they're not willing to say it publicly. And, and there's there, definitely fear involved. There's also people who will go down
1: with the ship. Yeah. There's one person in particular uh, who we were- who. And again, oh, I we wish I not, had that on we video. We will not name names. No. But this particular person, there was a young, Person who stood up Ugh. at this most recent DEC meeting and had a lot to say about what's wrong with the Shout out to, to it was
0: Jaden D- D'Onofrio.
1: Jaden D'Onofrio, awesome young man who we do hope Great to have kid. on the show yes. uh, in the near future. Um when he was speaking, the gentleman who is part of what I would consider to be Debbie's circle Let's decided to do this.
0: He actually turned, turned his, his back. turned his back Stop, fold, shaking turned, turned his back
1: and folded his arms. Didn't want any, didn't want to hear it. Didn't want to talk, had to acknowledge the fact that he's been at it for 30 years and knows more than everybody else. And you
0: all should just accept the crimes given. This is is. the way it is. And it's like, if that, I really wish we had this video on this. But it's almost like in many
1: ways, it's that it's those levels. So symbolic. It's whatever the technical term is for the levels of change. First, they ignore you. Then they laugh at you. Then they fight you. And then you win. We're at that stage now where they're starting to fight us because they know that their time is limited. They know it.
0: Like if you guys saw this guy, he's this party person, actually it's funny because he's very like entrenched in the party, but like he is the epitome of when I think of the 90s called once it's politics back. These people are living in a time that is, and these are very privileged people, mind you. That's also where you're capable of being in that position where you're so privileged that it's just your leisurely thing. Yeah, I go, I hang out at the meetings. I'm the man, I'm the man. And you don't want for anything. So it's very easy to sit there and say, too bad, take your crumbs. But they're pathetic. They have, they want no change. They don't want to see it. They don't want to hear it. And I was so glad to see this kid because he's 17 and he's part of, what was the name of the organization?
1: Uh, Mm.
0: He is one of those, and it's not Gen Z for change that he's with, although he knows those guys. This is one of the kids that they are your future leaders. And he got to see up close and personal how despicable. Voters
1: Voters of tomorrow.
0: Voters of tomorrow. And he got to see up close and personal. And he was so disappointed. And you know what? Good. Because let him rally people to come and change this so that the old guys who were standing there turning their backs. There just should not be people in charge anymore. Okay,
1: okay. Barbara, I don't know why you're here. I don't know why you feel the need to come on here and constantly crap on Jen. Yeah. I don't know what that serves.
0: And well, it's funny, but, and she said she voted for me. I don't know what the point is. That, that's It's, it's <laughs> like
1: you're, I, I almost feel like you're trying to do it because maybe you secretly are afraid that change might happen. I don't believe for a second. But that like we're,
0: we're about we're about wanting to make things better for people yeah. and trying to that's get the goal. corporate money out. And Debbie Wasserman Schultz, unfortunately, is the head of that corporate snake in Florida. Yes. It and it's it's just that's the way it is. And it really would be the equivalent getting unseating her would be the equivalent of like I picture it as like when the house lands on the witch and the Wizard of Oz and all the munchkins come out and they're like and there have to be told it's safe to come out. You have no idea the amount of people that would feel free to breathe if she were gone. People in the party that can't stand her, and yet they're just stuck with her and they're scared. So I assure you that any sort of enthusiasm or momentum or anything that the Democratic Party in this state could ever hope to have would come out if she were gone. I can't tell you enough. I'm and in a thread of emails where you actually have people saying, and I'm I'm not saying anything on this in these emails, where it's like, you guys know she's the root of the problem. And the people in the party are starting to see it. So I, I again, I'm not the, the one And the only reason
1: you're addressed is because you're the one person, and I mean the one person who has come onto this show out of the thousands of people that have come through these chats who have said, oh, you're never going to beat Debbie. I support Debbie. I voted for you but i voted I, for you but, but you we love but we, but we love debbie here
0: it's like okay fine and that's fine but the truth is we know enough from looking at enough campaigns and are smart enough to know like we're basing this on like reason and logic and yeah. and stuff like that so we know our numbers very well we know exactly how many voters we need like we're very very aware of the numbers game here and we're also very aware of the change of our district lines and all sorts of other things but it's like, you very well could be correct, and maybe it can't happen. But, but you know maybe what, it continues but maybe, to help.
1: maybe- Maybe there's people who end up running under a branch that are running for city council- That they felt inspired to run. Maybe that helps change the dynamic in Florida. Maybe, again, Florida politically sucks compared to a state like New York. That's okay. That doesn't mean that you don't try, because very often what ends up happening is somebody says, like you, Oh, well, it's never going to happen. So why even bother?
0: Yeah. But that's what most people think. But you know what's amazing? So, um, what's amazing is so four years ago, um, none of this existed. Four years ago, none of this existed. And because I lost that congressional race, I now have this amazingly right. cool plat- all plat- all right, platform Travers, and podcast. Get, you're
1: getting one. I'll give you that one you get that.
0: Well, I thought that except for I don't know. And we do I do know that we get hate watchers, but it's just kind of a weird contradiction. Um I exactly. And the thing is what we've been able to build honestly is amazing to me. Given the amount of suppression, we we raised almost $400,000, got close to 30% of the vote in a pandemic, mind you, as a first time campaign run like not knowing what we were doing. And now if you think about what we've learned and what we've gained and the resources we now have and whatever, it's like to say, oh, you could never beat her. That's just kind of ignorant.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just
0: really ignorant because you obviously don't follow politics or campaigns. well,
1: Well, if you run again, all I can say is I hope you get more than 44%. Why is that number so significant? That? Because that's the number that you know who got. Oh, so you know, you got at least, like got at least. I don't care,
0: way. honestly, for me. <laughs> and it's never been about me wanting that job. And anyone who knows me knows that I do not care to have that job, but I am willing to serve in that job to do so in a way that serves the people of this community with no ulterior motive, no personal agenda, and no need idea. for money.
1: Well, I don't. Well, one thing, Travers, you have to remember. <laughs> uh, I do think that, well, I wouldn't say waffles, but bagels and coffee.
0: Let me explain something about Travers. And I've only noticed this from the corner of my eye from the chat. And and I find this very, very appealing, I must tell you. So now I did once accidentally mistake a Scotsman for an Irishman. And I was put in my place very handedly. And I will say that I very much do like both. I'm just putting that out there. I do have, there's a special place in my heart for a Scotsman, but I really, I, I I, can, I'm really... Oh, the Scotsman. Well, tra- our friend here, Travers, is from Ireland, but lives in Scotland. So Scotland. I'm just saying I, I, I like it from both sides. If you are just so inclined that and you there. do
1: like our show, go to patreon.com forward slash generational change. For as little as $5 a month, you can become a supporter of our wonderful show. We are doing everything we can to grow by the day, as you know. But if you are so inclined, <sighs> is that... Number two, if you become a ten dollar month, you will get who we actually think is going to be the next president: Mansion Parliamentarian. This,
0: this is this. what I'm pushing, guys. Yeah. I am pushing for Mansion and Parliamentarian. And Those are our party's a power, a power a players.
1: Lulu sticker. I mean, who wouldn't want
0: that? I just you, you, the way you're selling it, I think, is a little gratuitous. So, guys, gratuitous. Come on, it now. is gratuitous, and don't do the whole thing with the jersey. Just don't, guys, for $25 a month, you get the generational change jersey. It and is why very is it nice. so great? It's just, it's just silly.
1: It's a tri blend.
0: It's doesn't very comfortable. It is, it is soft. It is. I will say. Soft as cotton can be. It is soft. And that's the other thing that we one of the definite things you learn from working on enough campaigns is the types of shirts to order and what people like. I will say that. And I will, and I'm very proud of the fact, and Jamie Friend, friend of the show. Friend and her last name is Friend. Yes, but um, she's a friend. She always is very, very quick to compliment and point out how our campaign was the only one that had both lady shirts, ladies cut T-shirts, and tank tops. And I, uh, that pleases me that people recognize that because you know, I've I as somebody who has canvassed for a lot of people, I have worn a lot of T-shirts. And it really makes it much more bearable when they're comfortable and nice. It really does. And especially in a place like Florida where it's so hot, you know, like I got to tell you, wearing those really thick t-shirts down here, it's just not a good experience. We'll do
1: the best we can to make sure if that does happen, if it happens again, that would obviously be something
0: else. I'm just saying we're very, we are on top of the, of the, fabric of the shirt. Now, if
1: uh, if uh, hopefully we do end up getting more small business neighbors met some wonderful people this evening, hopefully that might be the case going forward. But as you know, $50 a month, you are a small business neighbor, Apex Insurance Agency, Home Life and uh, Home Life and auto. Auto. So we hope you'll give them a call. And this will give you an opportunity, especially now at the end of the year, where you start thinking about what's in their best interests. If you're potentially, if you're in owning. the process
0: of needing to, you know, change your insurance, you think about it. You're like, I don't even know who I have, yeah. who I use, and you're looking for somebody. Go local; it's always a good move. Tell them Jen and Pete sent you.
1: Yes, and you will definitely get a wonderful <laughs> deal, <coughs> especially during the holidays. So the last thing we will mention before we go off the air, we want to talk about. We obviously want to talk about what happened the other night regarding Tim Poole having on Kanye West, Milo Yiannopoulos, and Nick Fuentes. Now, I don't know how many of you actually saw or heard about this particular interview, but this lends to the question of who are people that should be platformed and who are people that shouldn't be? Are there people who actually should not be given a voice because the things that they say are so detrimental that it ultimately behooves them to not actually have them on because everyone talks about free speech. Is free speech worth it? Um, I I, I think that, I mean, I understand you want to hear what Kanye West has to say. He had some really despicable things that he did say recently about Jewish people, as you know. Then, of course, Milo Yiannopoulos, who's always been... um, Yeah, something along those lines. You can't really make out exactly what it is or what he's trying to accomplish. But the person in question who I think was the most dangerous to give a platform to is Nick Fuentes. Nick Fuentes is an admitted white supremacist. He was at Charlottesville when that whole fiasco went down at the University of Virginia. Um, Now, of course, we all know um, the things that he has said regarding uh, Holocaust denialism. Uh, the fact that he essentially admits that he's an incel, that he does not, in fact, uh, you know, believe in, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, normal relationships. He admits that he's a virgin. Um, he has a lot of hatred towards women in the things that he says. And of course, whether he actually is a hardened supporter of Trump or DeSantis, as he says. Um, there's a big argument to be made regarding whether or not he went on the show the other night, uh, talking about the fact that they did go to Mar-a-Lago and had dinner there. You know, everyone has an opinion, um, but are all opinions necessary to be heard?
0: Um, no, but I'm. You know, I I'm sorry, I was kind of zoned out. I'm sitting here and watching Please people don't. insult me. Please don't. <laughs> Oh, you're the only one who's allowed to do what you want to do. But, um, we're talking about censorship. I am not a fan of it. So I don't know why you, you know, like I'm an absolutist. I don't like things that I, you know what? I don't even believe in banning hate speech. I don't believe in banning speech. I just don't think that should be a thing. I think you counter speech with speech. Um, you, you don't get there, but it's, that's just not how it works. All the, I just, I'm not a fan of banning speech. So, you know, if,
1: well, I'm not talking about banning his speech. I'm just saying, you know, Tim Poole obviously has on a number of guests that we do not agree with. Yeah. But does it get to a point where he has on certain people that really shouldn't be platformed on that type that's of thing?
0: That's his personal thing with himself as to who he's willing to platform and what his own personal things are with, you know, how he sleeps at night. That's on him. Like, I know who I'm willing to platform or not platform, you know, and I'm a small little channel, but... That's his own personal choice, but I don't agree with the idea of not hearing what people have to say. In fact, I think that when you hear people like that and more people are made aware of people, see, I didn't even know who Nick Fuentes was. I didn't even know who that was. So the fact that now this is somebody who's getting more attention. So now that's just one more person that I'm aware of. Like, how is that a bad thing? You know, I don't see the problem. I'm, it's not like I'm going to be sitting there being, oh, yeah, that guy, he's making some serious sense. I think, uh, yeah, I'm with him, man. He may, No, most people are going to hear that and not think that it makes sense. So I, I just, I don't, I, again, I am i don't have a big problem with him giving a platform to who and what. Now, if he's sitting there agreeing with him, that's a whole other story. Again, I didn't watch this clip, so I'm not sure, you know, what you're talking about. I asked about. you to. Well, I didn't. You didn't forward it to me. I, do and I, I have to do everything? Okay, so when was the last book you read for one of our guests that I'm sitting here listening to? We have a guest coming on Monday. Uh, <clears <number> <clears throat> throat> like, it's problems. always me. No, very rare. All right, you want me to pull it up? What I'm saying is, if you feel the need for me to see it and you want to give, you know, watch off. time for Tim, that's fine. But our, our, I thought what you were telling me about was the fact that Kanye walked out. He did. That's brilliant. Good. Because Tim Poole didn't go down in his swill with him, so yes, why would you not want that to happen?
1: I, no, I definitely agree. I do think that there's, um, you know, something to be said for being <clears throat> willing to do this. So I think what we'll do, which makes the most sense, is to just pull up this clip real quick of what happened. So it's my-
0: really funny watching this guy. So so I've been there to, and it's just funny yeah, to it's think. Funny it's just funny to think that, okay, now Kanye is getting up and storming out of that house. He has to, like, walk his way out of that maze and down those steps and then the front steps. And I'm, like, trying to figure out how that would go because you guys have no idea the complexity of the Tim Pool compound. not
1: told him exactly where he needed to go and the confusing nature of that. Although I'm just trying to – like, let me see this because you guys have to Considering the know. size of the house that um, – that Kanye lives in is probably somewhat comparable to the size. But that of doesn't mean business. he
0: understands this. All right. But it's not just the size of it. Okay. I am just, I'm curious to see how somebody storms out of Tim Pool's house because you literally to get to where this studio is, no, I it's agree. really interesting concept. All right. Well, All right. You know,
1: and Sean Fitzgerald, great to see you brother. Um, yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Uh, it is, it is, it is definitely done in a way uh, for clicks. There's no question. But this was a very interesting point of emphasis, because obviously when it comes to what Kanye has been getting a lot of attention for, of course, has been very negative um, and rightfully so. Uh, but kudos to Tim uh, for standing up uh, where it was necessary. All right. So, so if you want to.
0: This is me getting to see it. So there yeah, you go. Yeah, there you go. You're,
3: You're not, not going to take. take- if, 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 we if we can't, can't you're, you're not, not going to take, take my pain, pain away, right? The Jewish people say, it's the Holocaust, this happened, and you can't say anything about it. We can't take their pain away. No one's going to denounce the fact that they tried to lock me up. That's what, because every time I'm just holding stride and it's like, I didn't I thought I was more Malcolm X, but I find out I'm more MLK because as I'm getting hosed down every day by the press and financially, I'm just standing there. And when when I found out that they tried to put me in jail, it was like a dog was biting my arm. And I I, 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 almost, I almost shed a tear, almost. But I still walked in stride through it. Yeah, I, I think I think they've been extremely <laughs> unfair to you. I think. Who was they, though? We can't say Cor- they is, can we? I'm not using the. I don't, I don't use the word as the as the way I guess you you guys use. I'm, I'm talking. It is about them it. though, isn't it? I mean, because <laughs> no. and, and because when you think <laughs> about not. it, consider it. In 2018, what do you mean it's not? It, what what do I mean? Like, uh, uh, okay, so how about? Are you leaving? Are you afraid of the press? He's gone. I'll say it right now. Um, you guys, I I you guys want to bring that stuff up? And then I think the we're not going to have, not gonna have like, a conversation. Like, have like you, you think yeah, he's going to come in here and say, here's my pain. Here's my suffering. I'm going to say, I hear you. And then he's going to say, and it was Jewish people. And I'm going to be like, okay, but don't you consider it. So like, I'm not going to hey, do this. I, I refuse. Go, uh, make sure he's cool. All right, go for it. Luke and I will have a conversation. So, uh, I can't say I'm surprised. What, 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 well, what, 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 do I even do? Let's... Other than ask him, please elaborate on this. Are you referring to individuals? Or are you quite literally blaming an entire group of people for the fact that powerful
4: individuals are causing you harm. I I really wanted to ask Nick about his thoughts about MLK, because I know they contradict uh, his his comments about that. But but, again, these are mass generalizations that don't really help anyone in my perspective. They just kind of sound like their opposition. They sound what they're kind of going against, the woke mob that's always saying white men. White men are responsible for everything. When I see people just use generalizations, it kind of cheapens the conversations. It cheapens a, a dialogue that we could have here that, that I was planning to, to, to talk to you about specifically bringing up like, hey, let's actually talk about this in a real concise way. Let's not get emotional. Let's I'll, not walk let's, out let's, of let's here. Let, let's let, me, let me tell ourselves. all you guys
3: outright. I said this is going to be a big issue. Before the show, obviously, people are going to bring up the questions of anti-Semitism. Why don't we talk about the news? I want to hear what happened with this meeting. I want to understand what Ye 24 is. And then we can do a, a longer conversation about any of that stuff. And Ye literally in the first five minutes says, no, well, I want to talk about a group of people and, and point to them. Whatever, man. This You want to know why? Look, you know, I, you're not going to sit here and you're going to walk out of the room. You're free to do so, man. But literally, I said a couple sentences about... I don't think that's fair. Did I, did I insult the man? He seriously can't handle,
4: he can't handle well, it. He also left during the Pierce Morgan interview he did, but he came back. So I, uh, again, uh, we should be able to have this conversation. What's up, Chris? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Look, man, I wanted to talk Here. to these guys
3: about why they're meeting with Here, Trump. Chris. I want to know what happened with the dinner because we yeah. hear a lot of rumors about it.
4: I want to hear about their 2024 platform, which they were promising, which they were talking about, like they're going to be officially. Let me let me let
3: me explain to everybody that, you know, unfortunate they walked out. Fine. Maybe they'll come back, whatever. This is the biggest challenge with dealing with identitarianism. I do not believe that the predeterminate factor in someone's worth, value or agenda is based on immutable characteristics. Kanye is a black man. He does not represent all black people. There are Jewish individuals who work in, in, in banks. Dave Chappelle made the joke about Jewish people in Hollywood. And he said, but it doesn't mean anything. You got a lot of black people in Ferguson doesn't mean they run the place. The point is, me, I'm all about individualism, meritocracy, personal responsibility. That means.
0: And guys, that's the thing about Tim Pool, I think the way he was just right there, like what you said, like when people gave me so much crap for going on there or people say he's a grifter and he's all this. You know, I don't know enough about like everything about him, but that's very reasonable what he's talking about to me. He's a very reasonable person. And and his beliefs tend to be le- like left and people yet think he's right because they don't really know what left is in this country. That's another part of the problem. He's he is definitely libertarian. Yeah.
1: I mean, look, he brings on people that I I don't particularly would probably agree with on anything. I mean, listen, he brings he brings Marjorie Taylor Greene on the damn show. I mean, you know,
0: she's a sitting congressperson. Yeah. The truth is, I would have her on this show. That's a sitting congressperson. Are you kidding me? You don't think that people should see that for who that is? Sure. I think that's our duty to expose that kind of stuff. It's not like giving. I mean, yeah. That's not a candidate. That would be a. That's a sitting Congressperson. Yes, I would have her on the show. He's
1: had Thomas Massie on, who I happen to agree with a number of things on. Th-
0: these, uh, are con- these are these I don't agree. With, I don't.
1: I don't agree with him doing AK. Uh, you know, AR fifteen uh, Christmas cards with his kids. You know, but that doesn't mean that you don't have a conversation about issues that matter. And if everyone is so quick to jump to conclusions about what should and shouldn't be, I just personally think that Nick Fuentes and his rhetoric is extremely dangerous. And the things that he does, which I believe is to incite people to do things, he goes in those 4chan chats and Reddit threads and things like that. there's a lot of frustration. But who
0: is this kid? Like, where did he come from that anybody cares what he says or who he thinks? Like, he looks like a kid. Like, who is this? Well,
1: sometimes these people kind of get plucked out of obscurity because they know that they're going to espouse the message that is going to get people riled up, spend money, get clicks, do all these things. Nobody,
0: is he a celebrity? Is he a politician? Like, no, who is like is a, he? he's like a commentator. That's he's it. a commentator? Yeah. Oh.
1: But he's a commentator that is <laughs> that that spouts very, you know, anti-semitic violent rhetoric, like he's a bad guy. He just is. You know, there it is he's irredeemable in many ways as far as I'm <laughs> concerned, because that guy wants to hurt people. And, and oftentimes, I do believe that guys like that want to hurt people because they're hurt
0: well, hurt people, hurt people. Yeah, that's definitely how it works. You you know he's
1: when he talks about how he uh, I've, I've heard him in commentary talk about how, Um, He has a hard time talking to women and shocking, you know, he, he might be closeted, you know, there's.
0: Oh, don't, I mean that that's neither here nor there. You know what I mean? He's obviously very misinformed and or a grifter. Sure. Cause he could maybe not know that what he's saying is nonsense and still find that there's a good niche where you could just, you know, profit from that and have that persona. You know, I wonder that about some of these people. I do. I it's wonder way if of they're.
1: Red, Red saying, yeah, that's basically it.
0: Yeah, I, okay. Listen, whatever. You know, it's
1: amazing how somebody like, you know, Nick Fuentes makes somebody like Charlie Kirk seem relatively. Keen.
0: But people like that are like, to me, they're just like one bathroom stall or one bank account away from just falling out of grace.
1: That's true. That's why you stick to the message and you do what you're told. Very often, that's what gets you where you're going to go.
0: And unless you have a very wealthy and well positioned. Uh, family situation like Gates. Like there's certain Milo people Yonop- that get away with sure. things.
1: Milo Yiannopoulos is a great example of somebody who just, again, has a shtick, sticks to it. Right. But is it good. real? Who knows? Well, well, I don't he know. Said, well, he says he, I don't think he said he prayed away the gay, but that he, he's no longer gay.
0: Right. Whatever. It's just. That's actually, see, now that to me is, that's harmful crap because that puts out that thought, although it's putting it out amongst people that are going to keep thinking that anyway, I guess. It's not like, again, nobody's going to turn that on and be like, oh yeah, this kid knows what's going on. I'm going to listen to him, you know? So it's just, that's interesting to me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely like who
0: cares what this kid says? Is he is? Does he have any source of education? What are his credentials? Has he ever like? Is he published? Does he know anything? But our friend
1: of the show, Sean Fitzgerald, the actual Justice Warrior, mentioned that Tim really had them on because he wanted to hear about the Trump. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, I'm sure a lot of people would want to hear about it. In very few, why not? They don't really know what went on.
0: They can only assume. I would invite them to come sit here and ask about that because why wouldn't you?
1: Well, it was really great. I had an opportunity to talk to him. We'll see.
0: But then again, you know what this is? Ned Fuentes oh, is a really
1: great, misunderstood young man. And I totally didn't get an opportunity to talk to that Alessandra Baiegi. You know, she doesn't live too far from me in New York. Really great person. And of course, I, I assure
0: here. you she'd find you disgusting.
1: No, she finds me really great and you know how I know that? Oh, because no I've no. got a lot of money. I'm really, really
0: rich. She does not incredibly. she doesn't care about
1: I that. just wanted also to come on here and address this Mike Fedicini who's Ugh. coming on your podcast next week. He's a really terrible person. He's made some really Terrible videos about me and he knows I'm a great person. Believe me when I tell you, he just doesn't understand. I like the case, they're great people. And he just <laughs> needs to understand that I have my ways and everything is gonna be okay because we are making America great
3: again.
0: Again. And that's all there is to it. Good to see you guys. <sighs> it's so gross. It's really gross. Like mm. I can't, It's. it really is. Um, so that's what Ma- Mario is correct. That's what he said,
1: Milo Mini Apple. Mini <laughs> Apple. Ass. You're terrible. It's yeah, terrible. Said he's ex. He's, he's ex-gay. Okay. He's ex-gay. He's, he gave it up. The problem he gave with it that is turkey. that sort of that's... Cold turkey. He, he's, he's not doing it anymore.
0: Ridiculous. <laughs> whatever. Again, that to me sounds grifty. <laughs> it is. Well, like a lot of what they do is grift. Charlie. Kirk no, no, is no. A my, grifter. My, my point Kansas is, is a grifter. Yeah, th- these are people that are in this for like. They're like the party plants yeah, and party money's consultants. Money's great. And it works. You know, that would probably You know what, those are national it. versions of like, you know who in Miami. Yeah, sure.
1: Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, at least on their side, they <sighs> do end up winning, which is kind of ironic. Uh, yeah. But with that said,
0: ay, ay, ay. I actually, you know what, I'm gonna see if I can get you guys, I'm gonna reach out to Tim and see if I can get Tim to come on and, and talk about that experience and what that was like trying to have a reasonable discussion with Kanye. Yeah.
1: Well, it wasn't very reasonable. No, he but doesn't. There are people need to understand that sometimes you will say things that are incorrect. I actually well. think
0: he's, he he has, um, I mean, he's got something going on mentally for sure. I am by no means qualified clinically or otherwise, but he strikes me as some whether it's like a, a personality disorder or a bipolar thing, like I, I am in no way, again, qualified. But to me, and I've thought this for many years about him. There's something wrong there. And again, not a critique of people that are disabled or mentally disabled. I'm not saying wrong in terms of like versus right. I'm just saying there's something organically, I think, about Kanye West that is not with us in the terms of our space and time. No, a lot. Well, Joe Rogan has talked about that multiple times. There's something off. And and is just irrational no, to me, and is. I don't and I don't know what that is. Again, I'm not claiming, and I'm not judging it. I'm just observing it. That's all I'm saying. Uh, he's tri-polar. <laughs> that's actually good. God, yeah, he's done no. And again, I I am. In, this leaving. is not making fun of anybody with mental illness. This no. is in no way anything. But there's just something about him that's just erratic and irrational. Um, I remember when he jumped on the stage at that time with Taylor Swift and grabbed the microphone. Oh God, I
1: wanted to kill. Uh, well,
0: and that was really the first time I ever saw him, like who I no, even knew no, that ex- was. I'm like, seriously, why did he get tackled? Why did somebody <clears> knock <throat> his ass out? But just from that, that was the first time I ever even knew who that was. And I yeah. just, from that point on, every time I've seen him, it's just something that's just so not, and yet people seem to just tiptoe around it. Like it's just totally typical. That's what's so interesting to me is that people talk about it. Like it's just totally typical when I think it's like almost scary that nobody, you know, I don't know. But anyway, so I kind of, you know, it's, it's unsettling. Like to me watching him is unsettling because it's somebody who is clearly not well, and just running around and everybody acting like that, that's perfectly typical. Like, I almost feel like I'm in a bizarro world when I see people like that. Yeah, that's, that's how I feel.
1: So, with that said, obviously, Monday, we've got two. We are doing an afternoon show on Monday, guys, just so you know, very important. So, on Monday, I believe we go on at one. I believe that's when we start. Uh, we are going to have on is. Uh, Wait, our whole show is an afternoon show? Yeah, mm-hmm. It I won't, didn't realize
0: it, that it won't conflict with, uh, or this is shouldn't. Um, wait, wait. That's when uh, Carl Hart's coming on the afternoons. Yes. Okay, so
1: that's when he could come on, and also Rob Sand. So okay. we've got Rob Sand, who won the state auditor race as a Democrat in Iowa. Yeah, can you believe that it happened? Even though Chuck Grassley's going back to the U.S. Senate, somehow is he coming back alive and well? Who knows? Anyway. Uh, then we will have on Carl Hart, who wrote, what is this?
0: Well, he's written a lot of things. This guy is a psychoneuropharmacologist and is somebody who has done extensive actual research on methamphetamine and um, MDMA, which is what we, you know, I, I, we used to call it ecstasy. I don't I think it's different variables. And we're gonna mm-hmm. talk about the actual science versus the actual scare tactic, fear-mongering talking points that keep drugs illegal. Um, I, anybody who knows me, I support legalization or or decriminalization at a minimum of all drugs. I think Spain and Portugal have it right. I don't think drugs is a crime problem. Um, yeah, sale and distribution. That's a whole other story. And then you could choose to regulate or not or whatever you want to do. But the use of substances is something to me that I've always, I'm very civil libertarian. And I just, that to me is very much like that. So this book is really about that. This is someone who really has done the research and can answer the real questions. What's the scare tactics versus what's real. And we also have to differentiate that from what is also a real opioid crisis and what that really is um, and how it's being used to scare off people from having their liberties. So it's another way in which we scare people so that they're willing to have laws put in place to limit their own liberty to try drugs or do different things um, based on not science and reason. That's all I'm saying. I'm, so we're gonna talk to his, he's very smart person. This is someone who is very highly educated and has studied this and we're gonna get some answers. But the name of this book is Drug Use for Grownups. I'm listening to it right now. And it's, um, it's really interesting actually. Yeah. And I, and, you know, right now um, he's talking in the the part about the book is the research that he was doing on comparing methamphetamine to MDMA. Um, And I have done MDMA. I don't know if it was pure. I'll never know. And one of the things he's talking about is places in certain countries that, and what he would love to see are drug testing facilities. So you can go get something tested and find out if it's real, if it's legit, what it is, because- That is that's true liberty. Right. Like that's what real liberty is. So this is just the whole perspective is very interesting. And I have uh, a friend of mine from college who I just texted earlier to tell her I'm listening to this because she is actually she is a, a neuropharmacologist person. She actually has her neuropharmacology. She has her PhD in that. And there's not that many of them and told her that he's coming on. She's like, oh, that's cool. I knew she would know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, but so it's just going to be really interesting to cool. talk to him and hear his, and he has since tried different things. And it is different when you try something versus when you do research on it. And one of the things he's talking about is something that I am very familiar with regarding recreational drug use, which is the setting, and the setting is something that can't be replicated in a lab and is part of an experience. So it's just that anyway, I find it very cool. I feel like this is something I definitely know about. So it's, it's up my alley, but it's, um, it's always nice to be vindicated that a lot of what we hear is, is fear mongering and is just to try to criminalize things and keep people under thumb and to take away our civil liberties. And, uh, that is, you know. It's something that I think we should talk about.
1: Last thing. Thoughts? uh, I have no thoughts. We'll talk about (laughs) it on Monday. Uh, uh, Balenciaga, is that how you say it? Or uh, Balenciaga. Balenciaga, okay. Pedophilia is wrong, irredeemable, and anyone who participates in it should be met with the harshest punishments known to man.
0: Whoa, whoa, whoa. What what does this have to do with Balenciaga?
1: Balenciaga was promoting Uh, basically I wouldn't call it- uh, The
0: brand Balenciaga?
1: Uh, yeah. They had a little photo shoot the other day where basically they were, uh, having children pose in, uh, BDSM and different things. Um, pretty messed up.
0: Oh, this is problematic. I've got a pair of sunglasses. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's not good.
1: That's so- Anyone who wants us to talk about pedophilia- and the crimes of Hollywood and different places, do you really think that we would ever support anything like that? Or that we would have anything to do with people like Why?
0: That? Is somebody asking, like, how are we affiliated? Am I being called out for the sunglasses? Like, what the hell?
1: No, it's just basically they want... They're many years people old. People that wanted to talk about the fact that Balenciaga...
0: Yeah, Balenciaga.
1: Yeah, that they're involved or have been promoting, uh, you know, pedophilia. In some capacity,
0: but how did that find its way into this discussion? Is what well, I'm because co- while
1: well, Mario and a couple of people were bringing it up, and all I'm thinking is, yeah, this is completely effed up. I have to ser-
0: personally see what this ad is to see if I agree that I think it's what they say it is. No, I have no, not, not seen it's, it. It's, it's okay. It's I ha- I'm, okay, but I'm just saying I haven't seen it, so I don't know what we're talking about. So I'm not going to say whether I think it is is icky or not. But you know.
1: If you have a if you have like a what what appears to be like a three or four year old uh, basically holding like a BDSM mask and is dressed in really provocative. Okay, but here's the
0: thing. And here's the thing. As inappropriate as that does sound. okay, I'm going to throw this at you from this perspective. And this is where I see where art becomes criticism becomes a statement. And I, and I get the idea that, okay, what kind of world are we raising these kids in? What kind of world are we living in? And are they making a political statement to that effect? And... And is the ad really exposing anything of these children that is inappropriate or is it doing a juxtaposition using children in an adult manner to make a political statement? In which case, which, again, like I said, I have not seen these ads, but I am of the mindset when it comes to stuff like that. Like I, I think I like people like Robert Maplethorpe come to mind stuff that was banned as being so, you know, toxic and wrong. And now we look it back at that years later and we're like, yeah, no. No, it wasn't. Well, of course, I never thought it was, I shouldn't say that. But but like, I'm just saying, I haven't seen it. So I'm not gonna comment on it until I see it. That's all I'm saying.
1: Okay, so with that said, uh, there's a lot of ridiculous crap that's being thrown out there right now that's coming to the surface. Uh, It's a rough world we live in, what can you say? But we appreciate you guys. Remember to hit the like button, subscribe, share, do all those wonderful things. We appreciate the support. Big shout out to Double K, who is just an amazing supporter of the ca- yeah. of the channel. Uh, with that said, thank you so much, and we'll see you Monday.
0: Bye. thanks for watching. If you want to support our mission to transform politics into service, please like this video, subscribe, follow us on social media, and consider joining our Patreon, where you'll get early access to our interviews as well as other exclusive content. Links are in the description. Peace out.